0: <laughs> well, all right, I get – do y'all remember Brandon Peters who played quarterback at Michigan and then transferred to Illinois? We were on the same paintball team. All right. So, Brandon and I are sitting there. He's kind of a quiet kid, and he looks at me. He's like, all right, what, do we have a strategy here? I'm like, yes, I have a very distinct strategy. He's like, well, all right, what is it? Like, should we huddle up? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? I said, I am going to barge in the middle of that thing, and I'm going to try as hard as I can to shoot Coach Harbaugh right in the nuts. As furiously as possible, right in the
1: khakis. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Cowboy. Straightforward show for you today. Chris reviews Monday Night Football. The Eagles beat the Bucks and the Bengals bounce back and beat the Rams. Does Joe Burrow look good? Chris analyzes. And then we've got Marty Smith. ESPN's Marty Smith joins Macon and Chris talk college football, talk a little racing, talk a plenty of music. We also talk Marty's new book, Sideline CEO, all about leadership, everything he's learned, being around some of the best and brightest college football coaches in the history of the game. We get some absolutely wonderful lessons and wonderful stories from Marty. And then we end with Chris responding to some fan bases in the NFL. So stay tuned for that. He's talking right at you. Make sure you
0: stick around. Hey, Cole.
2: what's up y'all happy Wednesday I'm gonna try to buzz through this open I'm gonna get you to Marty Smith Marty Smith myself Macon sat down for a solid hour yesterday before I traveled to inside the NFL and had a great conversation I'm a big fan of the guy in fact we're talking about getting together for a beer or seven here soon me and Marty so big fan of McGee big fan of Marty talked to McGee McGee's been on the show Uh, but we hadn't had Marty and he's got this new book coming out, uh, sideline CEO. So we'll talk about that during the interview. All right. Sometimes I get in this chair and as much as I hate doing the, the solo stuff, it feels good. You know, I'm getting all the targets. The spacing is good for your boy. I mean, I love having Macon and Kylan, but to get my Ryan Rosillo on kind of, it's kind of nice. Coming from softball Tuesday night, we got slaughtered again by, um, with team sponsored by a mexican restaurant and uh one of the guys last week actually we played him two weeks in a row i almost didn't want to pitch today because they shelled us so bad last week one of the guys dm'd reed and was like hey lol can i get like that uh video of the uh inside the park home run i hit buddy have at it <laughs> have your Post video it where you want it yeah i mean seriously you, know. you fucking earned it yeah you know and inside the parker, good for him they shelled us again tonight the good thing about getting slaughtered is you get to get to work early and get this thing going. So let's do that without further ado. Before I get to uh, a hello, I got some diamond related stuff, guys. I do, uh, I've told you guys about my uh, my baseball futures. I'm not gonna bore you with all of them, but I need like the Red Sox under to hit bad, okay? Speaking of the Red Sox, the, the, the home plate umpire at our softball league, George is a big fucking Red Sox fan. All right, so I really want them to lose. Like he was really tough. On the strike zone tonight, the whole thing. We were going back and forth.
1: He was tough at the calls. uh, He was tough on all the calls.
2: Now, he hit us with the makeup call, so I appreciate it. But I told him, He gave us
1: one makeup call, but that did not make up for for all all five calls he made. But that's all right. It's
2: okay. We're not going to slander George. He's been out there a long time. I'm just going to keep sneaking out. The fucking Red Sox have been out there a long time. I feel like they've been in the 70s for forever. And the number for me, I think, is 78 and a half. And I need to stay under that. They have six games left. Okay, they got... A game tonight that's 9 6 Rays in the bottom of the eighth. Okay, so we need to keep an eye on that. We got the Rays tomorrow. And then the Orioles, they play them four times. Now, the Orioles are pretty fucking good this year. And they just had Brooks Robinson die. So I figure they're probably going to want to win four for the Gipper. And that would be perfectly all right with me. So if the Rays can take care of business, I'll be watching a lot of Orioles baseball later this week. Let's go O's. Uh, hello. Fuck, I did that backwards. Vaughn, Ontario. Hello. So the reason I'm picking Vaughn is because earlier this week in the, in, the, in our little group text, somebody had sent a link about some guests at a at like a county fair type of thing. And they were stranded 75 feet up in the air, upside down at one of these fucking, you know, like I say, I don't go to these things. I don't know what these guys have been doing. I don't know if they've been doing ice in the parking lot before they're, they're tightening the lug nut. I don't know what kind of liability you have, but like it doesn't matter. Once the Skymaster, you know, gets unhinged and crashes down and crushes me under it, like I don't have a recourse. My family can sue, but what good is that? Okay. Yeah, you like, already
1: lost your life. I already lost I mean? my life.
2: You know, and and I shouldn't but the whole thing is like this is what happens when you go to these fucking county fairs where you've got carnies putting together the machinery. Uh small hands smell like cabbage. Uh <laughs> And, you know, like these fuckers are upside down for 75 minutes, like David Blaine or something. Um, you not know, 75 feet, 30 minutes, but you get the idea. So Nate in the group text is like, and he's dead serious, you gotta piss and shit yourself because you can claim emotional distress. <laughs> Which is just, I totally believe it. If Dr. Fax was stranded upside down at a, at a county fair, he would take every opportunity to profit off this thing i mean you know you're all right up there getting a golden shower you gotta uh, you know, piss like, or shit on yourself
1: and then you can sue for more it's a more emotional and cause for ptsd and then he followed it up with and they gotta buy you new pants and underwear he
2: gets a new <laughs> pants and underwear the whole thing
1: i'm she didn't include shirt which if you're upside down it's yeah it's, it's going shirt. through the shirt
2: and everything yeah. you got to take the shirt off drop it down yeah. <laughs> So the whole thing is like, Nate's got a plan. And uh, honestly, Nate, if I were you, I'd just start going to as many of these motherfuckers as possible because statistically speaking, you could get in a pickle um, and you could sue. Uh, I, I suggest waiting until they get the carabiner strapped into you and start repelling and before you soil yourself. Then you just don't have to sit in it for a while or hang in it for a while. Uh, disgusting, but you know, we like to pepper you with some, some weird news on this show. Uh, I, I want the layup line to be eye of the tiger. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you why in a moment. All right. I'll tell you why in a moment, It's not cause I bet the Bengals last night. Well, the under, I didn't bet the, it's not cause the Bengals defense and the way they helped me secure that under, it's not about that. So, you know, I drive up sometimes I don't drive. I ride in the backseat all my way up to Philly to do inside the NFL because I love the time. I'm alone, I can do meetings. I do an hour meeting with the foundation. I watch Monday Night Football on my phone. Um, I'm taking notes, that type of thing. I pop a couple mad dogs. I don't call Fat Rob, I have an app, but like I'm back there having the time of my life. The only problem is I haven't eaten because of our schedule. I ate one meal yesterday uh, at the time that I was riding up to Philly and it was like a fucking oats bowl for lunch your boy's going to waste away if he's working too much to eat. So I'm like desperate times, des- desperate measures. I'm going to hit the Doordash and I'm going to have some McDonald's meet me there. Cause you know what made me think of it is Chad Cinco's on the show and he's always talking about McDonald's. All the motherfucker eats is McDonald's. His pyramid is like filet of fish on the bottom, <laughs> like French fries on the top quarter pounders in the middle. Uh, that's what he lives off of. And he looks great for fuck's sake, but like, Door dashing it is aggressive and they could fuck my order up. You know, the DoorDash template actually looks kind of good. Like you can check things off the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, they're not going to fuck it up. And on top of that, if you Google and I did, does a hamburger, keep you up at night. They didn't auto complete that search tab because nobody does, but the, the, the results are troubling. All oh. that iron, all that protein, you're going to want to wait at least four hours. But I was in a desperate state. So I ordered the burger. Uh, and, you know, like. I screenshotted it because I thought it would, I thought Chad would think it was entertaining to screenshot the hamburger order and throw it up. And I had the Bengals game going in the little window and it was blocking the ingredients and the whole thing. Immediately I'm getting peppered for my, the the size of my order, you know, then I'm getting peppered, which I didn't even think, you know, it's like browsing history when you accidentally post your browsing history, which isn't a thing you guys have to really worry about. But like, if you're, if you're into some weird stuff, say you are, and you've got your your history open and you screenshot the game some people have ended up in that situation there's something in a tab that you don't want to be in a tab i'm not thinking about that because i think the game is blocking the order but people are skewering me about the order they're calling me a serial killer <laughs> because and here's the order you be the judge quarter pounder or like a double hamburger whatever the fuck you call it no cheese i don't do cheese from McDonald's, okay? I just don't, like, I know it's- Bad experience? No, I just, it looks, it doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right to me, okay? So, like, you can call me a serial killer. Uh I hold the salt, okay? Like, I gotta go on TV in the morning. Your face is all bloated. The the risk of coronary events in guys <laughs> my age, in, in, in my BMI.
1: In your height? Yeah,
2: so call me a serial killer, but do it from the grave, because I'm gonna <laughs> be alive, because I held the salt, the cheese. I hold the ketchup, because I like crib ketchup. I like ketchup from the set of the fridge talk. I like cold ketchup. Okay. You get the ketchup packets from McDonald's. You know, they go everywhere. You can catch up all your shirts. Somebody thinks something's wrong. No, it's just fucking McDonald's ketchup. Uh, you know, I do onions, I do pickles. So people are killing me. They're calling me all types of names. You know, they're gonna meet me there at the at the hotel. And they beat me to the pylon. They're there a little bit early. I have to get down there, go go through the hotel bar. There's a couple Eagles fans or that type of thing taking pictures. I get the package, I go up to the room, and I'm gonna do bad things to this motherfucker, right? So I open the thing up, it's 1120 at night, and it's covered in cheese. Now, there's so much cheese <laughs> that it looked personal. Like, it looked like whoever put the cheese on the, on the cheeseburger was just fucking with me. So what do I do? I put the cheeseburger in the fucking hallway. Because uh, I don't want the cheeseburger to stink up my room. I don't want to smell that McDonald's cheese. So I just thought it was fun that people were, you know. Sometimes you realize when you share things about yourself that you're different. You know, I'm just a different guy. You know, like and that's okay. My McDonald's order is different than yours, and it's okay. Uh, My bad browsing history ended up on the on the internet, but the reason I did it was for Chad Johnson. And I was like, man, he doesn't like my McDonald's order. I'm hitting him in the group text. I'm tweeting. He's not tweeting back. He's not texting back. I'm like, this motherfucker. The one time I ate McDonald's well it's because he's entering the Bengals uh ring of honor so he's on the field you know enjoying it they gave him his 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 jacket with the, the bengal inset the whole thing he looked great out there and i was so happy for him when i learned about it actually the next morning we're shooting inside the nfl they open the show with like and here's you know chad the reason he's not with us he's going in the fucking ring of honor doy i'm texting about my mcdonald's order and he's hanging out next to, you know, Boomer and Like, what the fuck is this guy doing? So just a bad deal for me. I didn't even get a meal out of it. Um, but the Bengals, man, the Bengals, they took care of business. The defense stepped up when they had to. The under, the under's a beautiful thing when you bet the Bengals. And, you know, I told you, I, I was mad dogging in the back of the uh, the SUV. Uh, I, I also sprinkled a little bit on the Bengals minus three. Okay. I thought Joe was going to come out there and do enough. The defense was going to stand up. I see a Sean McVay, the Rams have become real backdoor bandits two weeks in a row, the backdoor push from this guy. No accusations, I'm just saying it's kind of interesting. Okay, so uh, the Bengals got the win, they didn't get the cover, the defense stepped up. Whether well, it was Mike Hilton on a blitz getting his hand up, Logan Wilson with two picks. One, he played beautifully, I mean he's he's looking for work, looking to the left sideline and flips his hips and gets in the throwing window and makes a play. I mean, this guy's really underrated. Uh, he's been a big part of what they've done. And Hendrickson just abusing guys that they're getting off the street. There's one tackle, there's the next, and none of them can block Trey Hendrickson. And these are the nights, and I'm not a jealous person, but I'm feeling a little bit of green running through my, I'm green with envy. I wanna be Trey Hendrickson for a night. This is the kid that, you know, from FAU that walked up to me after a Saints game, one of my last years in the league, like, hey buddy, I'm a big fan. Let me get a jersey swap. And I'm like, who is this kid? (laughs) And he turns out to be fucking the second coming of me and then some. I just (laughs) love watching him play. And I loved playing guys off the street. And that's what he got last night. And, And he is just so fun to watch. He's so good with his hands. He's real good at running the top of the hoop. Hubbard's a really good compliment and you know, the big guys inside, DJ Reader in the red zone. Rams were in the red zone early, okay? This is where they didn't, they could have pulled away in this game had they capitalized on their first two trips, but whether it's Hendrickson killing and driving the red zone, whether it's, uh, you know, Matt Stafford being a little bit out ahead of Tutu Atwell, you know, probably missed the hold there. Whether it's DJ Reader on the first down sack, like they really just stepped up all night. And Stafford was off and on, dude, like he, you know, he was he missed on some ball placements, but we said coming in that the Bengals, and I thought they'd play more man, would be more competitive. And I think what's playing out with the Rams is, we're just trying to find out who they are. And each week a new challenge presents itself. And I thought Anarumo's group looked more like Anarumo's group last night than it has all year. Okay, like you needed these guys to step up, they did. Dax Hill is a guy that like, you know, we talked about missing the safeties. This is a guy we raved about last year because we heard how much they liked him. We saw the physical traits but now he's stepping into a full-time role. He's knifing into the backfield. He's making plays. He's sacking people. His TFLs. I mean, he's a big athletic guy. He killed a, a two-for-one on his TFL before the half. The Rams are ready to go, get the ball back. So this looked more like the Bengals' defense. 31 total pressures, and uh, on the back end, they were competitive. I mean, they got they got beat on the seam once or twice. They got beat on some some deep routes when they were in tough coverages, but I thought they had a better day in the offense man like not their best night Joe Burrow dealing with a calf I know what those feel like okay um it does factor into his his readiness to look like Joe Burrow and I we we'll see this for a while maybe I know he's the type of guy that probably pushed them to play him I had heard they were making him play was like the the language like I don't see that happening I think if Joe Burrow doesn't want to play with the contract he just signed not fucking playing but for a guy that probably would have played even without the contract that's the guy kind of guy who he is that's the reason you love him as a teammate probably but also the reason you probably hate him sometimes because you want him to chill the fuck out and get right well he wasn't going to do that he made enough throws to win he was off all night uh i think we can give the guy some leeway i think he's out there playing hurt uh but the offense in general i just want to see i want to see it look like last year in some capacity he talked about balls outside the numbers getting Jamar Chase the football. He got the ball more last night, okay? He, he left the stadium with a smile on his face. Even if you're not clicking on all cylinders, you leave the stadium with a win. You get your guy happy. And and to his credit, Jamar Chase doesn't seem like one of these assholes who's going to make a big deal every time he, get, he doesn't get the ball. And I don't mean to say assholes because, like, I'd be that guy if I was a receiver too. I'm a competitor. But Jamar Chase is so elite but also seems like such a great teammate that he was going to be patient, roll with it. I know he talked to the coaches, and he got the ball more. Uh, But I don't like who you're targeting. In key downs, you're targeting practice squad tight ends. Um, You know, you couldn't get the run game going. And last year, I thought, I don't know how much they missed p Ryan. I don't think the screen game looks the same. Bengals fans chime in, because I am a bit confounded. But, like, you used to be, last year, when I thought you were really rolling, a power football team. And it's hard to run power looks out of the the spread looks that they like. you know, It's not enough big bodies in their tight ends being displaced and that sort of thing. But I thought you were committed to that gap scheme shit and you were pounding people. Maybe you're, you're keeping that in your back pocket for cold weather, but I think it would help you to run the ball better, right? And to look a little bit more like you looked last year and take shots outside the numbers and that sort of thing. I don't know, the offense is a work in progress. We're getting used to this with the Bengals, but this is a team win. This is the defense stepping up to pick up the offense, especially in the red area. And I thought the Eagles as well, another game that I bet the under, no sweat at all in the first one, but a little bit of a sweat in the Eagles game. I thought the Eagles defense really stole the show. Uh, We talked about winning those matchups up front. They had to do that. They had to take away Mike Evans. They survived Mike Evans. I know that because in my group text, everybody's like, What the fuck? I had Mike Evans. I had all these props, the whole thing, none of them hit. Well, they did a good job on Mike Evans. However, they did it, they did a good job on Mike Evans. Up front, I'll tell you what they did do. The guys on the inside of that that defensive line are bullying people right now. You know, whether it's on the goal line, Jordan Davis taking a double in the minute, the minute, the second, the millisecond that 300 of those 700 pounds, or 350 of those seven 700 pounds on him, comes off for, for just a hiccup, it's like a fucking steamroller. And Morrow Knife's in there and makes a play, and the reason those plays are so big is because the offense wasn't clicking, you know? And I say this, they had 450 fucking yards, okay? Like, they, they moved the ball on the ground at will. That last drive was a thing of beauty, especially for somebody with the under. I mean, they, it was like they just had a death grip on the football. And that's what they're capable of doing. That offensive line keeps your ceiling so, your well, your ceiling's high, but your floor is so high because you have that run, run game. And they ran 78 plays to Tampa's 44. So while the offense wasn't great, look at the way we're talking about them. I mean, 450 yards of offense, 78 plays, running the ball at will, um, seemed in control of the game the entire time. Jalen didn't have to be perfect. And yeah, you had a Goddard, a swift miss. These things look like they're either communication or Jalen's, you know, just misfiring the ball. But when he threw his picks, and he did, whether it was before the half and Jalen Carter gets the ball back after Jalen makes a mistake in that middle eight, which is so important, or it's you know, you throw a pick in the end zone, which you want to put these guys away. You can't quite do it. And, you know, the guy's knife in for that safety, like the defense just stepped up. And I gotta say this about Fletcher Cox. I got so much respect for the guy, you know, obviously he's a brother of mine, but the guy's finally getting singles late in his career and he's taking care of business. I mean, I'm just watching him manhandle people. Might have lost a step, whatever you want to say. He might not be the the Fletch from seven years ago. I can't believe that we're approaching that kind of time pass since that team, but the guy is still a huge plus inside. And I think he's a good vet for these guys. And I'll tell you something about Jalen Carter. I wanted to jump out of the fucking SUV and hop on a flight to Tampa to go play with Jalen Carter as soon as he made that play. Because as a guy who fed off of other dudes who were just absolute dogs, I wanted to play with a guy like Jalen Carter. Especially a guy with all his ability. I got to see Aaron Donald come in the league. The thing that always surprised me about Aaron Donald was how much ability he had, but also how hard a worker he was. He didn't take plays off. He didn't fuck around. He set the tone. And when you got a guy running out of the stack like that, dislodging the football. I just think as an Eagles fan, you got to be excited because he's a tone setting type of guy. When your leaders are your best players and he doesn't have to be a vocal leader. There's all types of different leaders in that locker room. But if, if, if you've got a tone setting young motherfucker who comes out of the gate not having to be taught to dig for every inch, you know, to defend every blade of grass, to go make people hurt when they catch the ball in the middle and they get held up you know, in the second level of defense, you know, make them pay that tax. I love Jalen Carter. I mean, and I love him for how slippery he is in the, in, in, in the past game, you know, his natural ability, all that stuff, but I really love the motherfucker for the play he made last night. If he does that his whole career, everybody's gonna elevate there. I used to use the wolf emoji, you know, with, with, with my boys on that D-line, Timmy Jernigan, anytime I talk to him, send him a little wolf emoji because he was a dog. You know, he might not have had the ability Jalen Carter has, but he was a fucking dog. And I would go I would I would get in any fight in any alley with that guy because I just get chills thinking about it. You know, like lining up with those dudes is a privilege. So Jalen Carter is that type of guy that I would love to play with. And if if you got him in your locker room for a long time and he's that type of tone setter, you're gonna be all right.
1: Best D line in the league?
2: Best D line in the league. I mean Due to their depth and the even distribution of the talent, I'd have to say so. I mean, I don't think Dallas has the guys inside that they have. Uh, I I think San Francisco's close, right? I might be leaving somebody else out. Washington's really good. But I think uh, Cleveland, obviously. But I'll take the Eagles' best five because they do put five down a good bit over the Browns' best five. The Browns might have a better best, you know? the. You know, there might be a lot of talent in San Francisco or Washington. But I think until the Eagles start looking like they're not, they are, in my opinion. Love that, love that. The offense wasn't great. What a floor to have. 450 yards, 78 offensive plays. Just a back-breaking drive to end the game. Get on the plane, go home. Get ready to play three teams who have offenses, quite frankly, that have struggled, you know, at at different points to start the season. I think they got the Jets. The, the Rams, and uh, they also have the um, commanders. the commanders over the next couple weeks. So these are tune-ups before you see the big dogs in in, in Miami. That's going to be a hell of a game. That's going to be a hell of a game. So good wins by both defenses on Monday night. I know the, the offenses are working through shit, but keep banging those unders, man. You know, people say life's too short to bet the under. No, it's not. There's nothing better <laughs> than an ugly football game in my eyes. And when I get to profit off it too, especially in prime time, that's the thing about a Monday night game. People say, hey, I said this last night, nine six is just fine with me on a Monday. I'm so fucking wired. I'm overstimulated from Sunday. I'm so tired from that 70 point performance. My brain just can't handle it. I need something like nine six to be that runway into a good night's sleep at the Mount Laurel redacted hotel. Okay. so. Anyways, I just wanted to shout them out. Also, last thing on, on the NFL and current events, the Jets are in the news every day because of the quarterback thing. I'm here and they're gonna bring in Trevor Simeon, Reed. They signed him. They, they signed him, okay, they signed him today. He's gonna to pick up the offense quick. And I mean no offense, to Trevor Simeon. But if you're punting on the season, Jets, which is what you're doing, you're punting on the season, just say it out loud. I kinda of like the bring in Kaepernick thing. I know some people are gonna be like, oh, But fuck it, man. Answer the question everybody's had for seven years. Can the guy still play? You know, like probably not. You've had him out long enough that it doesn't matter if he could in 2017 or not. But I'd like to see him play. If we're just going to punt on the fucking season, let's make it an entertainment business.
1: And he he sent that letter. The letter. Jody, J. Cole shared it. We all know about it. And he just wants to be on the practice squad. You know, I think it'd be great.
2: I think it'd be great. You know, some people, they're never going to be okay with me saying that. But, like, we disagree. I think it'd be great. I, I And, you know, he doesn't have to play it down. But if he played it down, would that not be entertaining? Right. I mean, everybody would be right. glued to the TV that Sunday.
1: And you, the X app would be going off.
2: Because that's what you're doing right now. You're just entertaining people. Yeah. You're not trying to win. I mean, you are trying to win. The players on the team are trying to win. I believe in, jo- in Joe. I believe in Robert, all that stuff. Whether it came down from Woody whether it's Robert's decision, whether it's Joe's decision, you can tell me how steep the price would be to actually try to play this year out. But you are saying out loud that it's not worth that price. and Because there's a way to do it.
1: Right. And we, we saw today that, um, you know, it just broke when we were sitting down, was that uh, a report was that the Jets locker room is near breaking between, or by as a byproduct of Robert Solis yeah. near breaking you know, blinders going after, you know, dedication to Zach Wilson. And like the the same problems last year, right? The defense was if we had not even a middling quarterback, a a top 24 quarterback, you know, 20 to 24, we would have some of these wins back and we'd be a playoff team and they're the same boat.
2: Listen, it'd be one thing if this was year one of this experiment, but it's so hard as a player to sit there. And I know that some people will say, hey, it's a business. What do you want them to do? What do you want players to do? You know? Like, you are at risk of losing the locker room when you don't make moves to, to help your team, you know? And, and it's an unfair situation for Robert to be in because I think they made those moves, absolutely tried to make those moves. Well, I mean, we got Woody Johnson back in 2016 replying to Kaepernick's protest with like a weak thing. He said, weak, you yeah, know, explanation mark. Well, Woody, I think you're a fucking big rich baby, you know? like. You're, you're, it's 53 guys out there. They're rotting with Zach Wilson. You're running a bad business. All right. You're running a bad business, Woody. Well, no, Curtis, there's no question you could do it. <laughs> there's no question you could do it, Curtis. <laughs> hey, Woody, there's no question you could do it. Just do no it. Question. it. Doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, hey, listen, you don't want to see Cap on a football field ever again. Whatever, man. I just think, hey, if you're punting, let's have some fun. Okay, we can all, I like chaos, man. If it's gonna be chaos, I'm tired of the Zach Wilson chaos. Like, I wanna see some more entertaining chaos. Right. So anyways.
1: Different angle of the chaos.
2: All right, so with the Monday Night Games under our belt, let's get to Marty, uh, Marty Smith. And then afterwards, I have, I'm addressing Patriots fans and a few fans around the uh, AFC East. I I got into this Mac Jones dirty thing and just was going at it with these motherfuckers yesterday and you know like i my message might surprise you you know i'm in a very zen like mood today so stick around after marty if you want to hear me speak directly to a fan base or two this podcast is brought to you by cash app with multiple tools for saving spending and sending cash app is an all-in-one way to stay in control of your money But what happens when life takes an unexpected turn and you find yourself losing control? I got a quick story for you. The other day, we had our third child. Her name is June. We brought her home from the hospital here in Montana, got home to our cabin and the plumbing was out. So that's that's a pretty bad first day. We go to bed 2 a.m. The smoke alarm goes off. The whole house is awake. Wasn't my fault, but that's losing control. It happens. Bottom line is I can't control the plumbing going out. I can't control the smoke alarm going off at two in the morning, but what I can control is my money. A great way to stay in control of your life and to stay in control of your finances is Cash App. So download Cash App in the App Store or Google Play to see why it's the number one finance app in the US App Store. All right, so we've got somebody. We both really like this guy, dude. I've gotten a chance to meet Marty a couple times. And, uh, and you know, I knew McGee from back in the day, uh, you know, with his dad being an official in the ACC and all that stuff. But getting a chance to get to know Marty, even though he's a hokey, a guy we both really like. Well, so,
3: yeah, Marty and I have been on a bit of a roller coaster that he doesn't Marty know about. I. <laughs> I, uh, I was a big Marty Smith fan. He spoke our language, and then he... He said one day that he identified as a hokey big beamer disciple, uh-huh. and I thought, all right, I hate this Marty Smith guy.
2: <laughs> he's not for me. No. But
3: then I've come back he's around. Too, and he's like too him easy again. to like, and now, and
2: now he's an author. We have him on because he's, he's promoting sideline CEO his new book, uh, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. It is available now, as you hear it Wednesday uh, morning. So go out and get you some of that. But welcome Marty to the show, and congrats on being an author.
0: I appreciate you, brother. Thank you guys for having me and offering me a platform. Yeah, I kind of have that effect on a lot of people. They're like, man, he seems pretty cool. I, I think I might be able to get down with that guy. And then they're like, no, that guy's a dick. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I,
2: I actually didn't know that about you, that you, you, you grew up a tech fan. But now that's come to my attention. We definitely built in some time. I was saying earlier... If I go on an interview and they're like, "We just want to hit you on the Virginia Virginia Tech rivalry," I'm like, "I don't know. I got a hard out." But for <laughs> Marty, I think he's he's fine to talk about it. So, um, so the book is awesome, man. I mean, like you you, you look at these names that are involved: Saban, Brown, Mac Brown, Mulkey, Doc Rivers, Coach Cal, Izzo, uh, and then you got Dabo. And then one thing I noticed, Marty, is everybody in the book has a championship, but one uh is Frank Beamer so I'm just wondering <laughs> how Beamer slid in there but you know
0: ACC championships Big East championships we count those in Blacksburg brother we count them here too and they're easy to count for yeah. us uh-huh. um
2: but what, what, when you sat down with these folks like take me soup to nuts through how you actually say okay I'm gonna write a book and then I got to get these folks lined up and what's the process of learning everything you had to learn to, to write this book
0: it was pretty involved, actually. I, I, had this, I had the title first. I mean, Sideline CEO. That title hit me several years ago. I'm like, man, that's baller. That's a baller title. And I knew I wanted to try to leverage the relationships I've made with a lot of these legendary leaders and coaches uh, through my job at ESPN. I just wasn't necessarily sure how yet. And as I made my way in towards COVID, you know, COVID hits, and it was neat to be home for a minute because I'd never been home in my whole adult life, and Laney and I were very intentional about our time with one another and our time with our children because I was home for a sustained period of time. But I am i feel like a lot of Uber-driven people operate this way. You start getting pretty restless pretty quick, and I had this tremendous concern or fear what if sports don't come back then what what am I going to do how am I going to keep these bellies full and this roof over our head and I thought okay let's control what we can control and I called Mac Brown he was the first coach that I called and I kind of told him my philosophy on this and he's Mac. he's like everybody's dad and he was like sure go and 53 minutes later I'd gone to a master class so the next day after that Chris I transcribed his interview and i was like man there's some real depth in this the next day i called urban meyer and that interview was 57 minutes long and left no doubt i was like man this this thing has some has some juice yeah and ultimately in the fall of 22 last fall my publisher called and said hey we need a book man we need a book for next october what you got and i'm like i got this idea sideline ceo i don't really know what it is yet and Then, okay, I'm going to go interview all these coaches. How do you format it in a way that isn't boring? Is it every coach is a chapter and it's their story and their path to leadership? What is it? Well, I bought this. Another thing during COVID, I was very intentional about reading books. I wanted one every 10 days to stay the hell out of my phone. And one of the books I bought was called I Want My MTV. And it was written in an oral history format. It would be like, you know, MTV VJ X, three sentences. David Lee Roth, one sentence. CEO of Viacom, a paragraph. I'm like, I sat up in bed one night and I went straight to my office and Laney's like, where the hell are you going? I'm like, I'm going to work. And that's how I formatted the book. I wrote it in this kind of eight pillar oral history format with all of those amazing coaches that you mentioned and. There is so much insight in it and depth in it that I've enveloped a lot of what those folks said into my daily walk, not just as a professional, but as a father and as a husband and self-accountability. Yeah. And so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the process that I went through.
2: And, I mean,
0: I feel like what came out of it is pretty cool.
2: Well, I can't wait to dig into it. And some of these coaches, man, I mean, I would have loved to play for some of these guys. Mac, Mac Brown, I mean, like just off the cuff here, I think a lot of people looked at him going to UNC and we did, and we were hopeful that maybe he, he was, he was antiquated in his leadership <laughs> abilities. Cause uh, it's a, no. UNC's turned into a bit of a low key powerhouse in the ACC. And I wonder, cause you talk to Texas fans, they were like, ah, oh, Max Wash, he's not good. But this guy, however old he is, is able to walk into a room in a changing landscape in college football and he can recruit, he can motivate and he can still coach. What is it about his leadership that you think had staying power into his 70s and beyond?
0: I think it is vulnerability first. I think it's consistent evolution as a person and as a leader. And he said something to me in the book, brother, that really kind of made me sit back and think. Because I was one of the kind of pillars or chapters in the book is about evolution. It's classic Eckhart Toll: if you don't evolve, you die. And I grew up in southwest Virginia with an old man who beat over my head, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, boy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, boy. Well, that's just not applicable if you want to stay relevant in a you know, high-intensity landscape. And Mac has done such a brilliant job. You know, When he left Texas, he jumped into broadcasting. So all of a sudden he has all of this depth of knowledge about that whole side of what college football is. And these days, as we know, television dollars are king. That's what realized it it fostered realignment with the grant of rights from the networks. Yeah. And so there's this tremendous scope of information that he has. And there was the fire and being pissed off that somebody said he wasn't good enough anymore. So when he wants to come back to Carolina, I mean, look, a lot of people, all of us were like, man, can't, I'm not sure if that's going to work. Yeah, He's older. Will he relate to the young players and all the look-at-me's and the selfies and all the stuff? Well, not only has he related, he's done it at a very high level. He's recruiting very well. This, Chris, to me, and I think in my lifetime, when LT played at North Carolina, y'all two weren't born yet. Yeah, (laughs) And I think I was like three years old or something, four years old. in in my memory this is the most physical north carolina team i've seen they'll hit you in the teeth and he's just and then they got a stud at quarterback yeah so
2: and you spent some time with Drake May.
0: yes i did i did a feature on him earlier this season for for week one what a wonderful family you know they have such a they have such a, a great spirit about them and servant leadership approach to life and of course luke is luke he hit the Second most famous shot in North Carolina basketball history and had a tremendous career there. Cole won a national title at the University of Florida on the baseball team. Uh, Bo was on the Carolina basketball team. Injuries have kind of thwarted his path there, and Drake's the best of the bunch probably. And uh, right now I think projected to go second in the NFL draft if he continues to, to play at a high level here this season. Just, just studs. I mean, just amazing. Their parents are awesome. Yeah, and and uh, I really admire that family.
2: And getting to, to meet these quarterbacks, I mean, I just saw you the other day with Jordan Travis, and um, you know, I watched him play one game last year. I forget it was one of their televised games, maybe it was Florida. And I thought to myself, like, man, this college football landscape's loaded with great quarterbacks, and we're not talking about this guy. So you went fishing with Jordan Travis, you spent time with with May. I'm wondering, is there a common kind of thread with these guys and their personalities or their leadership abilities? Because we talk about coaches, but quarterbacks, you spent time with a lot of them. Do you think there's a common thread between how they, they, they act or where they come from?
0: It's self-confidence in my estimation. And, and going back to Jordan Travis specifically for a moment, Chris, he didn't have it. He actually considered giving up the game based on the pain that was inflicted upon him from the feedback on social media, when he was at Louisville and into his uh, transition to Florida State, he had this moment of cloudiness about the passion to play the game. Like, do I really want to do this? And fortunately, that was a fleeting moment for him. But then you fast forward just a little bit. Coach Norvell and Coach Dillingham come into Florida State three years ago. Jordan actually walked in Norvell's office and requested to transfer to wide receiver yeah he's like can I just please transition to wide receiver Wow! and Norvell said I want you to get out of here stand up walk out in the lobby and look to your left you're good enough at quarterback to win one of those and it was Charlie Ward and Chris Winkie's Heisman trophies and here we are he's going to probably be a finalist when we get to New York in December he's a baller dude
2: yeah yeah he's awesome and I and you you bring up that anecdote I think about like every leader you ever met, they had to have a leader. They had mm-hmm. to have somebody that gave them that vote of confidence.
0: Well, I think I think there's two things and, and I'm sure you have too. Every interview yeah. I've done for the last three weeks, they asked me about Dion. Yeah. And why you know, why is Dion working? Why is that? why is this such it's the biggest story in sports, in my opinion. I mean, Hey, kudos, Travis Kelsey, man. Big props, bro. Yeah, it's a big like, story. Wow, too. man. She actually yeah. showed
2: up at the spot. Yeah, they didn't even like it. Yeah, it wasn't even like a long run of uncertainty. <laughs> no, man. Right there she is. Yeah. Wow. I was with so. With Donna funny. Kelsey. With <laughs> Donna Kelsey up yes. there. Donna Kelsey's living a charmed life. She's been, I mean, she did a great job with her boys speaking of leaders in the background of leaders. But yeah, no, Taylor Swift's a big story. It's a huge story. And and
0: But with Dion, I I think, fellas, what we really want, if you look at the fundamental human level, all of us want hope and belonging. And, I I mean, it's applicable to every facet and every path uh, your life happens to take. We want those two human emotions. And he has offered that. He's walked into a culture that was completely irrelevant and flipped it immediately and made them relevant. Uh, I mean, the story in sports, and yeah. all these young people are are looking out west of Boulder and going, "All right, I see the way he leads with love. I see his servant approach to the way he's leading these young people." And they go, "Hey, I got Alabama, Georgia, uh, you know, Clemson, Ohio State on my on my list here. I might have to, I might have to head out there and take a look."
2: Yeah. And I think one thing that's made Dion great and you mentioned it's it changed the the landscape of college football because now when Dion daps up your best player at midfield after the game, hey good game, son. <laughs> You're like, hey, yeah, let me get there. Stay in away here, from you know? that guy, get away, right, right? Get away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what makes him great, and I think I think, you know, leadership as a guy who's been a captain and been a vet in the NFL, like I always think about social intelligence. And I think about the ability to, to have that duality where okay, I can ship a bunch of guys out and say, hey, hardline, y'all aren't good enough to do what we're about to do here. But also the ability on the other side of things to love guys up after a loss, the ability to go at you know, um, another team because it's personal, but then to take your medicine at the podium after you get your butt kicked by Dan Landing in Oregon. Uh, it's, the, it's the intelligence to when the whole world is saying, hey, we're big Colorado fans, I think the death threats aren't a big deal. You know, I, there was like, have we gotten there in society? And Dion's the guy, he's the adult in the room that stands up and says, hey, that's not okay. Right. Uh, you know, I just think at every turn he's had, you know, a really um, diverse range of emotions that he's been able to tap into. Uh, he's been a motivator. He's been a hardline guy. He's been a guy who can build him up. And I think that's a big part of leadership is having the versatility to do all those things and to be the marketer because he's that. He can coach. He can market. He's a Swiss Army knife.
0: And they have to be today. That was kind of the, one of the premises of writing the book is that they are genuinely CEOs. Yeah. They run extremely lucrative businesses in the highest pressure situations with no time to be successful. You got to yeah. do it now or your ass is gone. Yeah.
2: And that's the and, biggest difference between college and the pros yep. is I feel like it's more of a CEO job in college.
0: You know, you think about Coach Saban, right? Yeah. Every single... Big-time volleyball recruit, tennis recruit, baseball recruit. When they come to Alabama, they want to meet Nick Saban. Yeah. So he has to carve out all of this time for the university, you know, yeah. on top of the donors, on top of all the gripping grins everywhere. And that's why I, I chose delegation as one of the pillars in this book. Because what do we say about guys like Jimbo Fisher, right? Is he holding on too long, calling the plays offensively because he's running this massive business where he has to do all of this diverse – all these diverse responsibilities, yet he's trying to be in the micro-granular nuance of preparing for Auburn's defense. Yes. Right? So you got to delegate. And Kirby Smart said to me in the book – he didn't become a really good coach until he became self confident enough to delegate and not micromanage because yeah. micromanagement is insecurity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And usually it is. And at times, like even in this podcast, like I'll micromanage the process because I want the product to be so good. But as time's gone on over four years, it's like at different turns in the road, I've said, hey, not only is it easier to delegate, uh, but as you build trust in the people under you, your assistant coaches or your producers or that sort of thing, like you've gotta be able to delegate. And it's something I'm still working on is like that thing. And I'm imagining being a college football coach and saying, all right, I gotta worry about recruiting. I gotta worry about the donors. I gotta worry about the offense. I gotta worry about the defense. Some of the best college football coaches of all time. When I heard about Bobby Bowden by the end of his career, he was in the golf cart. Yep, Like he was up in the the tower with the binoculars. <laughs> And he's letting the guys do their thing. But it takes time, right? It's trust. Trust is one of the things you mentioned.
0: And you you can't – that is the absolute most important foundation principle of leadership Yeah, is trust because that's sort of where leadership begins and ends and it's it's really, really hard to earn and really easy to lose. Yep. Because when – and that leads into the communication side, you have to – communicate in a very direct way that is consumable and you got to follow through on those words it's the whole confront and demand part of the leadership side which urban meyer is very good at and coach izzo told me he straight up stole from urban like a lot of guys are fine confronting a failure or Mm -hmm. fine confronting something that isn't as efficient or successful as they want it to be but do you demand with the follow through that it's fixed yeah and like all of those little things i'm i'm such a nerd about all this stuff that i love yeah. every bit of that and i was so excited to talk to you about it because you're right i mean you you have played for awesome leaders and were are i mean we're on the field and and are just such a tremendous leader yourself with your actions with your words with your follow through on that and and your play i mean nobody ever questioned if you were given every last ounce of everything you had to whatever your obstacle was that day and that's a hell of a thing to do on a sustained basis to demand of self there's a lot of days you don't want to do it man there's a lot of days you get up and your body hurts or your mind's tired or your kids are not right or something's going on at home but i always say this is to myself i'm a runner there's some day, even now. I'm 47 years old, Chris. I get up some mornings, and I don't want to run, but I always say to myself, the difference between the man I am and the man I want to be is six miles. Mm-hmm. Go take the damn six miles. Yeah. And it's find whatever that, that person. yes
2: or no choice is Right. On a daily basis, that eventually becomes who you are. A bunch of little decisions that seem small day to day, but eventually that becomes exactly who you are. Um, I think you hit on another one, the communication, greatest leaders are great communicators Mm -hmm. Um, because they can be really tough, but they can build you right back up. Uh, They can be really direct, the whole thing. And they know each of the people in the room that they're trying to lead. Like, you know, and that's one of the hardest things. And I'll admit leadership for me did not come easy. I appreciate the compliments, but like post career, I'm learning how to lead in in business. That's a whole different deal. You know, you talk about athletes getting into the, the leadership space. We always tell a funny story here on this show uh, from last year where uh, we were having a you know like a come to Jesus meeting with with the crew because we had a lot going on and we were just trying to get on the same page. And I said, listen, is there anything that you guys have to say to me that I'm not doing a good enough job of or that I'm fucking up? And one of my producers in the back was like, yeah, I'll go. And I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> all right, here we and, go. Hey, here we go, give it to me. And he's like, uh, well, last week, you called us motherfuckers and I don't think that's, that's leadership or whatever he said. And I said, you're right. Let me just, I shouldn't have said that. What can you give me the context of how I said that? And he goes, yeah, you called us some hardworking motherfuckers. (laughs) And and I said, Marty, I go, that's a compliment compliment where I come from. But, but the difference is I got to recalibrate my communication, my emotional intelligence, my leadership, to fit the new venture, which is much different than leading on a football field. And, and so I do think like a coach, there is the, the crossover ability. I think coaches can make tremendous leaders in other walks of life, but there's probably an adjustment period where they have to like, you've got something.
3: Well, I just want to circle back to the trust piece in this current college football landscape of realignment and portal and NIL. And Dion gets to 3-0, and and we start wondering, well, is he going to be in Gainesville in a year or two?
2: Well, that's that's the big question, and right? And the players
3: are in, and they're out. And, and is this sustainable?
2: That's the hardest thing. You look at some of the most longest-tenured coaches in, in college football. It's like Whittingham, it's Ferentz, it's those uh-huh. guys. Yep. Dabo's been there a long time. You kind of wonder if in the current landscape it's going to be harder to keep your leaders longer and to have the continuity to build a culture.
0: It's a lot like basketball. I talked yeah. about that with basketball coaches Uh, in the book, because your leadership, like, what do we always hear, fellas? We hear, I have reached a team. I know that I have gotten my team when it becomes Mm player-led. When the leadership gets to the player level and it becomes a player-led unit, I have gotten them. They are here. They have reached that place that I've been leading them to. Well, when your culture is not passed down at the player level and you have to restart every single year that's a very daunting process yeah and especially fellas in a time with the people that are in this book who are getting four or five stars throughout their whole roster like you got to think about every one of those young people has been told for most of their life you're the greatest athlete that's ever come out of this town you're the greatest athlete that God ever created. You're going straight to the league, and so it's like Coach Calipari said to me: the culture around here at Kentucky is everybody eats. And when you are have been when you've been that dude your whole life, who's the guy, and you got to get broken down and rebuilt within that culture, it takes time. It is a yeah. process, and the great ones are able to do it over and over again. But it's got to be exhausting. Yeah. And there's a couple. So there's a couple points I wanted to follow up on quickly about what y'all said about the communication side. All right? I loved this. Uh, Leonard Hamilton at Florida State and Roy Williams. You don't treat everybody the same. Yeah, you I treat agree. everybody fairly. Yeah. And fairly is a contextual thing. It's, it's, it's a subjective word because great coaches meet their players at that, their level emotionally – yeah. And no two people consume information and process information the same way. Yeah. And so you have to think about the individual time that goes into each person. And that time builds what? Trust. It's all intermingled. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me the ones that are able to sustain it. Because it's, you're so right in a transient NCAA right now where it's the Wild West And the college football that I fell in love with going to Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia (laughs) with my daddy when I was a little guy. And the reason that I loved it so much, fellas, you guys will relate to this, the reason that it was so special to me to go to those games with my dad is because I got to see him in a way I didn't get to see him anywhere else. My dad worked a lot. He wasn't, like, around a lot. He went to every single game I played from Wee baseball till I finished high school football, like uh, my whole life. He was at every one of them. He was present for me. I knew he loved me, but he didn't tell me that a lot. But when we went to see Virginia Tech play, I got to see that passion. I got to be in that energy and that aura because he was like a myth to me. Mm-hmm. And I got to be kind of pulling in the same direction and feeling his love and hope he felt mine. And to this day, I feel closer to him in that stadium than I do anywhere. I yeah. mean, way closer than his gravestone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You guys shared a real experience there. I, I want to, my son's starting to watch sports a lot. And I don't turn down an opportunity to sit on the couch with him and watch. Uh, that's one of the most fun things about being a dad.
3: Paint, paint us a quick little picture of Parisburg, Virginia.
2: Very, very small, very rural.
0: It is a Friday night lights type of town. It's one of those towns where the uh, you know people work hard. The number one employer in our county, our entire county, is, is Virginia Tech. Folks drive over the mountain to get to work. A lot of farming. Um, I, I did not grow up physically on our family farm, but we have 500 acres out there that I grew up going to most mornings with my old man to tend to things before we went to school and it's just that kind of community and like high school football is so important there it's the identity of our community and it's a great program uh we won a bunch of state championships I, i won one my final year there and i'll never forget what it felt like this realization of this dream when you start to have the conceptualized philosophy that because we won on Friday night, those guys who are 50 years old and have been going to these games every single Friday night of their life, and they're going over here to the Radford Army Ammunitions Plant to work their 12-hour shift, they win on Monday because we won on Friday. And that's a, an amazing thing to consider for a 17-year-old kid, but you're a god. I can't imagine being you, Chris. Like, I can't (laughs) imagine
2: what it's like to be, like, a really good. I mean, it was cool. It was cool. I'd say this. My ears perked up when you were like, hey, most of the guys that that get to college football, they think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. They've been told they're the best. I'm, like, looking across the dinner table. I know I'm not the greatest thing. There's sliced (laughs) bread right there. So, like, you know, it's just that that kept me humble. And, you know, like getting a chance, I played smaller ball like in, in high school. And, you know, sometimes I look back and I'll be like, man, I wish I played in front of more people. Or, hey, St. Louis, I love my eight years there. I wish I was on TV every Sunday night. But it does keep you humble. I'm not saying I would have done it exactly that way, but it does keep you humble. And college football is special, man. Like, I'm at the age now where I'm finding things to do on Friday nights, and me and my buddies all of a sudden are like, let's go to that game. Let's go yep. check that game out. So I think it's awesome And hearing about. I had never been anywhere near your hometown. I know every place in Virginia, I thought. Uh, but, you know, it's right over the mountain. So you're a Radford guy. Yep. You uh, you, you grew up in southwest Virginia. Is Enter Sandman the best college entrance. football tradition? Uh, I mean, it's just like like as far as game day sound or sight. For me, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, for me, I, I think the coolest
0: experience I've had, and I've been blessed to go to Penn State whiteouts, and I've seen Clemson run down the hill countless times, yeah. and I've done Dixieland Delight in Brian yeah. Denny Stadium. But Death Valley on Saturday night is Wild. I mean, it's a bunch of pirates down there in Baton Rouge, boys, and they are fueled by Jack Daniels and gumbo. And when they start singing, when they start singing "Calling Baton Rouge" at the end oh, of the third yeah, quarter, and that I mean, that cathedral starts swaying, yeah. and that concrete swaying back and forth, and the intensity is in such a way that you are just losing your. You, I mean, we're supposed to be completely unbiased. unbiased. Completely, we don't show any emotion, man. Fuck that. I'm ready to strap up and knock the hell out of something.
2: That's <laughs> so funny. I've been wanting to go to a game down there. I don't know if I could handle it. Stanford, Steve, and Ryan Brasilla always go down there. Brasilla is a big LSU guy. I just haven't gotten down to Death Valley. You should go. Uh, yeah, it should be on the bucket
0: list. You gotta. Fi- you 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 got to You got to experience that. And it's the whole thing, bro. It's not just the game. Yeah. You got to watch how they tailgate. The hospitality is yeah. just so pure. Yeah. and the food's stupid, and the drinks yeah. are rolling. I mean, it's just awesome.
2: Yeah, I can't wait to get get down there. You mentioned Dabo's running down on the field. First. And I was kind of wondering, yeah, that, is that your favorite? No, 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 no. He has he, to run down first. Yeah, he has to run down first. Uh-huh. You know, we're Virginia guys, so we're not as big Dabo guys, but like, my question to you would be, if Dabo coaches there long enough, is it like a stair lift kind of thing eventually? Like where they just kind of –
0: <laughs> or does the players they carry an Escalator <laughs> in, yeah,
2: like one of those stair chairs. Because <laughs> I mean, you talk about coaches with longevity. I don't even the way things are going there. I don't see them moving on. Uh, you talk about Marty. You get a chance uh, to go a weekend, and you've never been to a college football game. Maybe you haven't been to a pro football game, but it's an experiential weekend where you got to pick a college and a pro team in a general market. Where are you going? Because some people threw out some pretty interesting answers, and I know I have my own. Give yours as Marty yeah, thinks. Yeah. Oh, mine. Uh, it's oh, mine. Uh, <laughs> it's Florida, and it's Jacksonville. I want to be in. The, I want to be at the Swamp on Saturday. I've never been there. That Probably. is one of the most beautiful things in college football. Is that big wall? Welcome to the Swamp yeah. or whatever it says. Uh, and then, you know, that whole scene. And then, you know, take a little drive over to, to Jacksonville and hang take out in the pool. Dip. Take a little dip. Take a dip in the pool. Yeah. You get to watch an NFL game in the pool, man. That's my kind of stadium.
0: It's – I mean, I, as as you say that, you know, I'm a – I'm, I've been all over the South, certainly. I've been to – got to go to Gainesville, too, when they're yeah. singing Won't Back Down. Oh, dude. And oh. just channeling I Tom Petty, Gainesville's native son, I mean, it will just make every hair – and they're so loud. I mean, these college stadiums are so huge, dude. Yeah. And so so I I highly recommend that. I mean, I've never – again, the Penn State Whiteout is a – I saw them play Michigan there a couple years ago, and it was unlike anything I've ever – it was a SEC, like big-time SEC West type of atmosphere – it's out in the middle of nowhere. it's yep. those people's identity they love that program awesome fan base and so what I might do i don't I'm not a geography major by any stretch I think of it sounds
2: close to Pittsburgh
0: I, so it's definitely close to Pittsburgh okay I actually one place that I've never seen a game is Buffalo New York.
2: Oh that's mm-hmm. fun man so you like go in there, I, but yeah. it's like college.
0: Yeah, that's what like it looks college. like to me. And yeah. I'm super tight with Josh Allen. That's my my guy. He's he's that dude. And so, I would love to go up there and see Josh and Damian Harris. They're running back. I got super tight with Damian when he was at Bama. So, I would yep. love to go up there and see them boys play. But, you know, Happy Valley to Buffalo is probably like 18 hours or something. You're stretching I, it. You're stretching because
2: you're a road warrior. I thought you were going to say I'm going to the Carrier Dome, which is actually a tough place to play. And then I saw Clemson – to- Hang
0: fifty nine on Syracuse in there one Saturday, yeah. and it was when Deshaun was there. Yeah, man, that was I was doing sidelines that day, and yeah. I was like, dude, this game's going to take ninety years to finish.
2: I bet. What, what, what's your answer? And by the way, we're going to Penn State soon because my good buddy Marcus Higgins is now the the wide receivers coach up there. And awesome. uh, he and was my, a ball player. Friend. That guy, man, great player, that great a player. player. But the way he described Happy Valley was like you said, it's like you. You know, like, there's nothing for a while. It's gorgeous. And then it's like, boom, town. And the town's function almost entirely is Sport Penn State. And, you know, they do a wrestling match, and there's 20,000 people in there. They All the Olympic sports they are packing them in because people just live and breathe it.
3: I'll take my lead from... Marty, I'll, I'll say Death Valley and Baton Rouge, and then that beautiful glow of the Mercedes. The Mercedes, though. V- yeah, that's Ben's a great one. Mercedes,
2: the Benz Dome, which, you know, your, your eardrums are going to be hurting yeah, after that Yeah, give
3: him a couple of years to get back to uh, Sunday Night Football.
2: You mentioned Deshaun Watson. What, who's the best college football player you've seen in person that you're like, I don't know if they became the best pro or whatever, but, like, somebody probably, that. I, uh, probably I him. I um, you think?
0: I mean, he was just, he was just unbelievable at Clemson. Yeah. I mean, un- unbelievable, and it kind of took that program. You know, when Dabo first got it humming, when he first got hired, nobody really believed. You know, who's was gotcha. this wide receiver coach who, you know, has kind of this goofy sort of approach to personality and that kind of thing. And people thought, even Clemson fans were like, this is super temporary, who's going to be yeah. our guy? But then he got C.J. Spiller to sign. Mm-hmm. And when CJ, a five-star, you know, comes up from Florida, it's like, oh, okay, whoa, this guy could have gone anywhere. He came here, and he came here because of that guy, because of Dabo. Yeah. Okay. And then from there, this influx of great recruits starts showing up, and, of course, he has it humming. But, man, I mean, Deshaun, if you go and go back and look at what he did against Alabama in those college football playoff games, I mean, it was like going throwing for 405, running for a 100 yards, 130 yards, just gashing those dudes. And go back and look at
2: those defenses. Yeah. Loaded. Yeah. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely With like, you know, Loaded. Kirby
0: Smart was the defensive coordinator. Like, well, they he, had his, it going his on. His
2: fingerprints are all over his defenses. They just play so nasty. They do. I mean, they just – I mean, I remember when they beat Baylor, I always tell this story – uh, in the bowl game a couple years ago, the, the the mics on the sideline were picking up guttural noises, dude. The, the, like, people were down there to, I mean, it was like they wanted to destroy Baylor. And I, I have chills thinking about it because I'd love to play for a guy like Kirby Smart. Well, and yeah, Clemson before Dabo was was Virginia. I mean, you know, like, no, no offense to us or them, but uh, they weren't Clemson. And so, well, yeah, he turned around. Speaking of turnarounds, I didn't get you on this earlier with Dion. I kind of wonder, because I do think this is a replicable model, but you got to be careful with the the person because it's all about the person I mentioned Ed Reed, I think Ed Reed could be great doing this. I mean he had the thing at Bethune didn't work out, but I think he'd be awesome, but from a program side, once Dion showed up in Boulder, I got the sense, and things got rolling like this was a gold mine I mean they can't they haven't recruited you know they were just a one win team, but Boulder's gorgeous, all the things that you know, you talk about like a magnet for people like this place is amazing. Cool uniforms, uh, you know, kind of sweet, sweet, um, a sweet setup, you know, good. Actually, like the money's come in. Is there a, a, a sleeping giant? Not that Colorado's a giant, but is there a power five team that you're like, why hasn't this worked? And if there was another Dion and I stuck him in a place like this, they could make that same, you know, kind of turn.
0: Well, if we're talking about uh, recent relevance, I would say, the University of Miami.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: You know, such an insane talent base, uh, right there. Tremendous tradition. Um, awesome city. I mean, I know it's in Coral Gables and it ain't, ain't South Beach, but
2: you know, it's, he doesn't it's, like the geography of Miami. The city's too spread out. And then you're driving yeah. ninety minutes to the stadium. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yeah, and, and that's the truth. I mean, I remember one of the neatest things I ever saw, man. Remember a couple years ago when Miami was back? Like, I think Mark Richt was there, and they, had one, they had one year where they were, like, back. Yeah. And, it was when it, and they, they hosted Notre Dame at home, and we were there for college game day. And one of the neatest things I've ever seen was it was, like, the five-minute mark during warm-ups or something. And the lights, like the main lights in the stadium, kind of dim. And next thing you know, they start playing in the air tonight,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and there's that you know that organ like the keys to start, and then Phil Collins starts singing, and I'm like, oh man, this is hot, mm-hmm. and you can just feel this like this this unbelievable energy building, and they they when when the drum solo hits, they blew the lights back on, and the damn lid blew off the place, and it was a uh, Two-hour commitment to get to the stadium, yeah, yep. but uh, that was
2: worth it. Miami Gardens or wherever yep, it is, uh, you got it. Yeah, I, um, I think that they're ripe for it, and I just mentioned Ed Reed. It's like I don't know, but uh, well, Mario's doing like Mario's he, doing a great. He's job. He's doing a good job. Yeah, he's doing a good job, but it's like you know they're still Miami. I was thinking maybe Virginia might land at some point. Some.
3: There you go. Some celebrity. The Blue Ridge coach. Mountains. Yeah, look at the mountains. Basically Folsom
2: Field. In 2003, People Magazine rated it the number one place to live. We're hanging on to that. That's and good. Ma- That's
0: a 20, ma- 20 year run.
3: <laughs> Marty can't hate on that. We're basically Appalachian. No, here. we're basically,
2: I mean, you're basically. But here's the question um for you, because we're talking about sleeping giants. Duke was a sleeping giant for a long time, and now they're getting game day. And uh, you you frequented game day a lot. I know yep. you're on the SEC show with Laura and Paul and all those guys in Rome and Roman. Uh, I don't uh, Tebow. I'm not. That's a star-studded show. But when you get to go to game day, what's that like? And why Durham?
0: Well, I think a lot of reasons for Durham. Um, Mike Elko's got that thing humming, man. Yeah. Like I, I, they they're gonna need to open up their purse a little bit here. The wallet's yeah. gonna have to open up, I think, for for yeah. Mike down there at Duke and. I love their quarterback. I think he's a, just a dude. And they got some guys. And yeah. they're they're relevant in the national landscape. And it's not a place that you instantly think college game day football. Now, college game day basketball, sure. All day. And it's funny because the SEC show, we're going to Kentucky this weekend. I'm like, is this, is this a damn basketball weekend? Right, college game right. day is at Duke. We're at UK. But – it is an awesome experience to be, just to see the passion that people have for their team and to be at college game day, and it's turned into this. I mean, college game day is every bit a thread in in the fabric of college football, yeah, as the games are.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: I mean, it is. people get up and it is a family experience. And all those guys living – I mean, it's its crazy, dude. Like, I did that that feature on Jordan Travis that aired on Saturday. I was hosting because Laura is doing Monday Night Football. And my phone starts blowing up in the middle of the SEC Nation show, and I'm like, I must have said the F word. I don't know what happened here. <laughs> but it was because that feature just ran. Yeah. It's just the, 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 the power of the platform for storytellers like myself is a blessing, man. And just the people go out. I mean, they're out there at 3, 4 in the morning, drunk as cooter, brown, hell raising, funny <laughs> signs, all the different. I mean, it has its own traditions. And I love Reese and Herbie and Dez. And I mean, it's, Coach is an icon. Yeah. Pat's
2: a trip. He's a trip. Yeah, no, it's funny because you, you, you mentioned it's part of the fabric. It reminds me of the way the NBA on TNT is to the NBA. Yep. Like people are making time around their schedule. Oh, they don't care that the Clippers don't tip off till midnight. Because we gotta get an hour of Chuck and Shaq in. Yep. And, it's the same thing with Lee and those guys over the years.
3: And for anybody headed to Durham this weekend, I highly recommend Franklin Street in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, good, Marty. We well, Ma- gotta see
2: if he can name these schools. Real okay. Quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you can you guess a couple of the places that haven't had game day? There's six Power Five schools that haven't had a game day. Can you guess any of them? on the spot. It's tough. It's actually not that tough. 6 I give power you a hint on schools. 1. I'll give you a hint on 1.
0: Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> UVA's never had college game day. Uh-huh. There's well, a Pac-12
2: school in here. Three Big 10. Oh,
0: three well, Big they've ten. been to Wazoo, so that means they've never been to Oregon State. Have they been to Corvallis?
2: No, they've been to Corvallis. It's actually Cal. They've never been to Cal, never not even in the Cal. Tedford era. You know? All right. Not they're, even they're,
0: in the Aaron Rodgers stint.
2: They haven't been to Champaign, Illinois. Okay. All right. Are you saying Champagne or Champlain? You got it. Okay. Champagne. <laughs> and then the the Rutgers—they're obviously not going up to Rutgers. Cut so away. Can, if Chiano couldn't do it, they're not going to Rutgers. And then my favorite is—they've never been to College Park. And why would you? And then the last one <laughs> we've already mentioned. This school is Syracuse, uh New York. So That's maybe a lot of
0: cold cities. I just heard right there's there. There's one oh, really nice
2: one here. <laughs> there's actually two really nice places. In Berkeley and in Charlottesville, depending on what time of year it is and all that, I don't oh, know. Speaking of
0: speaking of Berkeley and Charlottesville, I wonder how those uh, I wonder how those baseball teams are going to enjoy that conference tilt here in a couple oh, years God, when they're
2: dude. transversing the globe. How about the volleyball team?
0: Right, I know. I mean, playing
2: spirit across the country, right. Rutgers to you know to Cal. I had a
0: guy. Y'all gonna laugh at this. I had a guy so so let me tell y'all about my last Thursday. Okay. Last Thursday I get up at like four forty five, uh take a quick shower, I uh, make my kids lunch and I haul ass to the Charlotte Airport. All right. I go Charlotte to Memphis, all right. I get out in Memphis, get in a rental car, drive to Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah. I'm in Oxford, interview Jackson Dart, old Miss quarterback, great kid. Big boy. Damn, he's big. Yeah. All right. Is he? Big dude. Turn yeah. around. Go back to Memphis Airport to fly to Dallas. I'm delayed. I finally get to Dallas. I'm delayed to fly to Austin. I finally get to Austin. All right. Now I got to drive two hours to College Station. Yeah. And by the time that I get to College Station, it's like 1230 in the morning. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I'm proud as hell of this crazy itinerary I've ne- negotiated, navigated. And so on my Instagram story, I put this itinerary on my Instagram story. I bet you I got 500 responses from people going, must be nice having that PJ, bro. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, ain't no damn PJ over here, Jack. This is is America Airlines over here, buddy. He
2: was Charlotte Douglas. The story started, started with Charlotte Douglas. He's in the C Terminal, which is the terminal in Charlotte that's a mile long, and you're going to every southeastern city. But the funny thing to me is you bring that up. Herbie last week, he's on his social and he's got his map and it's like big long red lines. You know, he's out west, then he's up to Notre Dame, and then he's down. And I'm like, man, that's got to be a big plane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Herbie, I think Herbie might be doing the the, the big plane stuff. I think uh, his I think his situation is
0: just a tad different from mine, just post, a hair.
2: You need to quote tweet his. With, like, hey, man, you know, they gave me peanuts, but that was about it. I how, was, how
0: was AA 1072, buddy? <laughs> yeah, dude. But
2: look, the coolest part about that
0: for Herbie, though, first of all, I don't know how that dude does what he's doing. I don't think doing. he sleeps. Like it, it's, it's amazing, truly, yeah, what he's doing. Yeah. But I love that he's getting to watch his son play high school football every Friday night. Like, he he builds that into that crazy yeah. itinerary. Like, I just think that's so cool as a dad. Yeah, like, my so dad did it.
2: I mean, and he kudos. wasn't as busy as Kirby or as uh as Kirk, but uh, you know, my dad used to do Friday night at at my high school or wherever we played in Virginia and then he would get out, you know, Friday overnight, take a red eye to, to LA for the for the Sunday for the Sunday show and for years he was going commercial out of uh DC, so he'd drive 2 hours, go up there and then red eye back to get back. My mom would go you know, to Oregon to watch my brother play on Saturday, and then red-eye, no sleep, go to the Edward Jones Dome at noon, which is not going to keep you awake. But she was there, and she was usually partying later than me on Sunday night. So uh, parents, man, showing up, it's a big part of it. I was going to ask you, man, you're a vest guy, right? I'm a big vest guy. Love I had a vest Vets. on Huge earlier. I had a Carhartt vest on earlier. Got a little cold in the studio, so I on a hoodie. But you're a man of fashion, and I'm wondering who's the best-dressed college football coach of all time.
0: Best dressed college football coach
2: sideline attire. Like if Marty Smith were a coach, okay. whose playbook are you taking a page out of? Are you a visor guy like nah, Doug no, Peterson? No visors. No, nah, my hair is too good for that. I got. Are you I just going to be like? Hair. Yeah, you got great lettuce, and not like Holgerson, who's just out there like in the rain. <laughs> Dude, like Holgerson like, has the
0: greatest scullet. <laughs> so I good. mean the,
2: that 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 thing. It should be in the Louvre.
0: Yeah, it's just yeah. remarkable. He's got. I mean, it is. Going back to Phil Collins, it's like Phil Collins Live Aid 1985 right here in the in the, <laughs> the front cranial region, yeah. and then it is a full blown like Tennessee top hat, Wisconsin waterfall <laughs> Camaro mullet spilling out
2: the back, and it's like stringy too, dude. It, it is. is it's- it, gets, it, got, it got real strands to it. Yeah, you just said hope.
3: Oh. Well, well, talk about the common thread between quarterbacks, common thread with, with your head of hair. It's all about confidence, whether it's Marty.
2: Yeah, you're right. Or
3: it's Dana. And Marty.
2: He's got all the reason in the world. He's like Josh Allen with the arm confidence. Marty
3: Marty used to wear a flat top.
2: I did. Oh, yeah, yeah. How'd you
0: know that? Did you find my, like, my high school pitcher? Big research guy. He's a Marty. big research guy. Let me tell you all about the about the flat tops. All right, I don't know what the hell kind of trend that was. We all had them, and how he now we long. he
2: still has one. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's true. He that won't is true. fucking kick it. I'm like, but, Dad,
0: what do you want? I'll give you whatever. <laughs> it's iconic on your old man's head. It is. He, he pulls like it iconic, off. and all, you know what else too? I know your old man has a gold jacket. Uh, the whole thing, right? But his real legacy is the fucking neck roll
2: yeah that neck roll <laughs> uh, that neck thing
0: roll. what was it doing i don't think it was doing a thing except for him walking in there and saying this is uh, th- th- it was like a billboard i'm a badass
2: yeah. uh-huh <laughs> no i know and everybody went through the mcdavid cowboy collar era like around the time the program came out and like alvin mack looked cool and so in high school i was wearing a mcdavid the whole time but that's out now like van Der Esch it.
0: still it, has one doesn't he he's still the rocking a cowboy
2: collar yeah, that was a real 90s early 2000s thing. Uh you mentioned in the air tonight. Did you hear the Chris Stapleton uh Yeah, I thought it was amazing. I mean, Chris what, what, is,
0: <laughs> Chris I'm, is just a freak, man. What a freak show,
2: dude. There dude. there
0: are I say all the time, there are certain professions that save lives. There are doctors, nurses, EMTs, surgeons. I always put songwriters in that in that list because the fact that these individuals have the talent and the vulnerability and the skill to tell those types of stories in three minutes that can be a tow rope of hope for somebody who needs it. Yeah. It's just an, an insane talent and responsibility in a lot of cases. Yeah. And I say all that to say, Chris is such a lion yeah. with his pen. And I mean, obviously his voice look, I didn't think anybody would ever even enter Whitney's neighborhood right. with the Super Bowl National Anthem. But Chris is living next door, Bubba.
2: Yeah, he is, man. I mean, he's, he He's about as thing. good as uh, you, you, you.
3: It's just so nice to have somebody on this show finally with some, some musical taste. And Marty and I share a buddy in Kenny Chesney. <laughs> <laughs> and Marty, Marty's guest hosted No Shoes Radio this week.
2: I yeah. heard that. What, how'd that come about, man? That's sick. We met Kenny after the, uh, we went, we drove up to Pittsburgh to see Kenny and Eric Church. Yep. And we met Kenny after. He's the nicest guy I've ever is, met dude. that was that famous.
3: Then we met Ben Roethlisberger. So you didn't maybe like Maybe not the nicest And Richie Incognito ripped your shirt. You didn't <laughs> was, like
2: him, but he liked Kenny. But it was a big night. So how did the Kenny thing come about? He asked me. Uh, I mean, I don't <laughs> you guys he, are tight like that.
0: So he he. All right. So he has this amazing channel, you know, on Sirius XM No yeah. Shoes Radio, and they're in the middle of this <clears throat> kind of guest DJ run, and they've had like Brian Dable just did it, um, Matt Rule just did it, Shane Beamer just did it, Oof. and John <laughs> Anthony, John Anthony, who is um, bail addict, who is uh. <laughs> the guy that, like, Kenny's <laughs> buddy that runs the No Shoes channel yeah, reached out to me, and he's like, because I had hosted – I'm super tight with Eric Church. I was actually with him last night till about 3 o'clock in the morning. And you I'm put a in a follower. good word.
2: Can we get him on the show sometime? Just tell him a guy that kind of looks like him. You want Chief What's on Yeah, chief. man. I'll yeah, yeah for you. big chief, chief fans. Yeah. Like the chief.
0: Um, Going back to people who saved my life, Eric saved my life. I mean, li- almost quite literally saved my life with his really? first album. But That's awesome, man. So – so uh they they reach out to me. I had done a guest DJ thing on Outsiders Radio, which is Eric's Sirius XM channel. Yeah. And I think Kenny heard it and thought it was cool. So he's like, "Hey, let's let's get Marty on." So so he they they gave me. I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to do it. I got a book coming out." If you'll let me talk about that book, I'll do anything. That's so cool. And so That's I'm so, so cool. grateful that they gave me that platform. I got to play whatever music I yeah. wanted to play. Yeah. share whatever stories i wanted to share one of which goes back to that tour you two are talking about where you saw chief open for chesney in pittsburgh and chase Rice. i flew out chase to seattle Curry. Yeah, dude this this i flew out to seattle with eric uh to watch those guys play the quest field or whatever their century link what is it seattle's uh, century link yeah field. and during eric's set i'd had a i'd had a, substantial amount of Jack Daniels like embalming level and (laughs) and Chesney at his front of house scaffolding had this pirate massive pirate flag bolted to the scaffolding well I was hammered and I went out to that I climbed up on that (laughs) scaffold
3: and
0: I unpinned the pirate flag yeah and I am on top of the scaffolding just waving this flag furiously church is trying to Sing Springsteen, and he is staring right at me, (laughs) waving this damn flag, and he's laughing his way through Springsteen. Springsteen. Meanwhile, you know old John Law from every corner of the stadium is descending upon to apprehend the hillbilly Uh with the flag. Fortunately, (laughs) Eric's people saw it and got me out of trouble, but that's one of our all-time – we have done some funny shit in
2: our time together. That one's
0: way up near the top.
2: What do you think the best country show you've been to is? Oh, my God. Uh, that's like asking me to pick a kid. Uh, okay, pick a kid next because Dion
0: did it.
3: Yeah, he ranks his. It's <laughs> <That's> definitely <leadership? laughs>
0: it's definitely a, a church show, no, no question about yeah. it. I, I would say, Laney and I were talking about this last night because Eric just played Charlotte back-to-back nights. We went Saturday night and last night, and he's just so – talented as a writer i think he's the best writer alive and then he has this ability to turn up his intensity and this demand that there be the energy exchange between artist and 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 audience and there's just nobody like him yeah and i remember seeing him open for george Strait at the uh sprint center or whatever in kansas city several years back And one of the coolest parts about that deal was watching those two sing Cowboys Like Us together. I mean, you you talk about, like, holy shit moments. Yeah. We're all sitting there just, like, dumbfounded that he's up there with the king of country music singing this song. And it was
2: just that one was that one. It's probably that one. That's awesome. We just went out uh this wouldn't be my answer necessarily because i wish i could have seen everybody play longer but i went to the willie uh 90th birthday party at the hollywood bowl awesome and man let me tell you it was amazing you talk about like some of the best singer songwriters of all time and some of the the best you know living relics of that last era which to me was the best um you're like and, you me you know you There's love guys like Cash Eric, Waylon and Yeah, yeah. Chris and, and yeah, I love them all, man. And like, you know, now there are guys like Eric who are still very like, you know, those guys have that spirit in them. I mean, I would put Chris and that Tyler and those guys like guys who can write, you know, guys who I But those old guys, man. I was going to ask you this cuz we said we we're going to bullshit on the highway Here's my way of asking about the highway Who is the highway man who you most identify with? Waylon Jennings it's so easy for you. <laughs> yeah, I, this this is
0: something I've given tremendous consideration to during my journey, Chris. I yeah. Waylon Jennings is the coolest dude that ever walked the face of the earth. It's really cool. <laughs> and just the way he carried himself, the words that he delivered, the way he delivered them with this just dripping moxie, like mm-hmm. coolest dude in the room, mm-hmm. and you know, when you're when you are when you are in a in a moment where you are performing, alongside Johnny Cash, whom many would p- p- say is the greatest country artist of all time, Chris Christopherson, whom many would say is the greatest writer of yeah, all time, he's, he's and Willie there. Nelson, who is
2: still who's Willie fucking Nelson?
0: He's Willie Nelson. All right. And there's a great story, and I don't know the exact details, and I don't want to butcher it, so when y'all have Chief on, he can tell you. But yeah. here's the gist of the story. When they were shooting, they were shooting some promotional shit for the highwayman. okay? Yeah. And all four of their buses are parked in unison together. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the they were supposed to start at, let's call it, like 3 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever time, and the time comes, and ain't none of them there. So the producer... Is like coming over and asking the managers, like y'all got to get them out here, man. We got the crew, we got her. And manager goes up on the bus to Willie, and Willie's like, I ain't going out till Waylon goes out. So then they go into Cash's bus. I ain't going out till Waylon goes out. They go up on Waylon's bus. I ain't fucking moving till Cash moves. It's Cash like first. And so it's you know that who's got bigger balls thing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And so. And I just love that about those guys. That's the coolest thing. They are the coolest dudes of all time. And to me, Waylon is the alpha among those
2: alphas. I think he probably was. I think Chris was the, you know, the guy who had the, the, the kind of abstract kind of left brain thinking that helped them navigate some shit. And Willie was just Willie. And I think, yeah, Waylon was probably like the hammer. He was supposed to be on the plane. With Buddy Holly. Yeah. Yeah, because his back, and this is why he's a big good Big Bopper man. took his spot. Yeah, he's a big, he's a good person because the background was his, uh, one of the roadies' backs was fucked up, and he was like, he felt bad. They had to fly back, you know, wherever it was, but it was a long trip, and Waylon was like, well, I'll give you the plane seat, and I'll hop in the car. <laughs> And you know that was that's one of those like music stories that just you know it's crazy to think about. Who but, are uh, your
0: if you're okay? I'm flipping the script on y'all now. Do I get it, the opportunity do it. to interview this
2: you. Is fun.
0: All right, if you guys, uh, who is your dinner group all time? Like in the history of the world, okay? It's you and three others. Who's going?
2: Well, I'll stick to music, maybe uh, safer. Willie's going for sure. Cause you know it's funny, I'm in a time in my life where I most identify with Willie Nelson. Like there was uh <laughs> there was in my in my late twenties, I you know, I would named my first son Whalen, the whole thing. I was like thirty when that whole thing went down. But um <laughs> <laughs> oh my, uh, when that whole thing went down. But but I late in my twenties, you know, I could drink a lot, I could go all day, I was I was kinda like a fucking a little bit of a badass, that sort of thing. And now that part of my life has kind of passed me by and the whaling in me is a little bit, you know, it's a little less and now it's more Willie and Chris. And I think when you get old, that's when you turn to Johnny, you know? Um, but I, I think I would have Willie, you know, one of these died too soon guys, um, blaze Foley. I don't know if you know any blaze Foley. Willie. Yeah. Okay. All right.
3: Marty, I've put a lot of thought into this over the past 60 seconds or so. And, <laughs> and my answer is, is very clear. So I would have, um, I do have right now three children. The oldest is two and a half years old, and none of them are twins. So I would have three empty chairs
2: Just at my ideal That's it. That makes a lot of sense, actually.
3: Sixty minutes of peace and quiet. I get to pick the menu, it would be delightful.
2: I mean, I'd love to to sit down with Doc Watson yep. if we're staying in the music. I love Doc Watson. Jimmy Rogers, let's yeah, just Led- let's just get Jimmy Rogers at the table and be like, "What was it like, man? You're out there on the road, tuberculosis and shit, you're out there just working through it the whole hey, thing." Hey,
0: you started country music. What was that Yeah, like? yeah,
2: what was it like starting country music?
0: <laughs> and did you ever see the Ken Burns thing? Oh, I watched it. I mean, I watched it once, I watched it twice. It was I can't incredible. get enough of cuz you got to remember being a guy who grew up in Appalachia and knowing that all of that Heart and soul came from right there. Yeah. East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, East Kentucky. That that whole area that I'm so proud to be from, you know, picking and grinning and the whole thing, it's just so
2: cool to, to consider that. It's the epicenter. It's one of the epicenters, man. And, uh, okay, I have my answer. If we're just doing music, Andre 3000, okay. greatest rapper of all time. Dwayne Allman, one of the mm-hmm. greatest guitar – Guitarist of all time, period. And, you know, guy that you talk about, Eric Church and what his music's done for me. Dwayne over the last couple of years has been huge for me. And then I'd put, I'd, I would put, I think out of the highwaymen, I would go Willie and then maybe finish off with, I don't know, do I have a fourth seat? Yeah, sure. <sighs> Jesus. Jesus. That's a good one. Okay. It's a good one. There you go. Hey. Uh, did he play any music, Marty? <laughs> uh,
0: well, I mean, I think he did plenty of things that would probably <laughs> okay,
2: okay, good. All right. Probably you know everybody's Trump. gonna get J C at the table. I would like to get him there too.
0: I imagine I imagine Jesus could pick up a six string and just be Stevie Ray Vaughan immediately if he wanted That's to That's
2: the other one. Stevie Ray Vaughan or, or Dwayne, it was like gonna be a tough decision.
3: Eric Church, country
2: music Jesus. Yeah, exactly. We go. Exactly. Sam Hartman, college football Jesus. I mean <laughs> he's How a dead did- dead ringer. <laughs>
0: How did Dwayne Allman impact your life that deeply?
2: Uh, his solo stuff, man. Um, I listen to my Super Bowl. Me personally is what in my personal life. What's my favorite thing to do? Uh,
3: you you sit on a river.
2: Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's floating the James River, or whatever. And I usually have some Dwayne, and it's my time to to get away and deal with the stresses of life. Maybe some extracurriculars uh, as well, but. I think um, Going Down Slow is one of the greatest songs of all time. I think It Ain't Fair with Aretha Franklin and Dwayne is one of the greatest songs of all time. I just did a top ten the last couple months ago. Those two songs made it for me. So the Allman Brothers stuff, I mean, just imagine going to the Fillmore. We were joking about this other other day and being, you know, uh, the, the mic cuts on and, you're about to play whipping post and you're like, this is all my first album. And then it's like 13 minutes of the best music of all time. I'd love to be in that time and place and see what it was like to be a part of that group. I don't know. What's the greatest
0: Southern rock song of all time?
2: Oh man. Well, you're, you're going to tell me it's, is it Skinnered?
0: It is Skinnered, but it's not what you think it is. Uh, it
2: is. It's not simple, man. It is simple, man. It is simple, man. Okay. (laughs) No, I was going to, what, what do you think is the Chalky pick?
0: Well, everybody's going to be like, Freebird, man. No, it's not Freebird. It's not
2: Freebird. <laughs> Freebird's bird. not like, even top five. I like Simple Man better than Freebird, but uh, probably. The second best
0: Southern rock song is Tuesday's Gone.
2: Tuesday's Gone. I agree. I agree there. And The I would third greatest Southern rock song is Can't You See. Can't You See's great. And by the way, Marshall Tucker Band has been huge for me the last couple of years. That live album is one of the best live albums of all time. 24 Hours it. at a Time. Do you know the song 24 Hours at a Time? I do. Probably one of my favorite, top ten favorite songs of all time. It just I've made had the list.
0: spirited debates, my friends, with Zach Arnett, the newly minted head football coach at Mississippi State University, yeah. about Southern rock. He is infatuated with it, just like you and I are. Yeah. And I got into a – we were at SEC Media Days, and we got mm-hmm. off on a tangent about whether Creedence Clearwater Revival and the Black Crows – or Southern Rock, I
2: maintain they both are. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's like, but CCR, those guys are from way out California. west. But they, but yeah, they, they definitely they... they definitely sound like Southern Rock. And the Black Crows had a great run. Marty, you got to get on here again and talk about some music and some more football. I think we go in a lot of different directions. I think we left trucks on the table. I know old trucks are a big topic. You we know, left
3: fast cars on the table.
2: Fast cars. Why didn't Joe Gibbs make the damn book, man? Did Joe? In. get? Oh, he's okay. There we go. <laughs> there we <you> go. <laughs> you want to talk about a guy who led on the gridiron and at yeah, the, the racetrack, it. man? He that guy's amazing. It. I got a chance to meet him at the um, at Martinsville, or it was Richmond. I was down at Richmond. I drove the pace car, and the thing that blew me away, Marty, was before you know us football players, what we're like before a game. Everybody's like oh, yeah. smelling salts. Don't talk to that guy. Stay, you know, it's just too intense in there. I'm in the the tent. And these guys are just walking around in their uniforms, just shooting the shit with the fans. I get why NASCAR is so popular after going to this race is number one, I drive the pace car anytime you want me to. <laughs> and number two, I met Martin Truex like and he became my favorite race car driver. He's I got a, got a Martin Truex, uh I got a Martin Truex uh, tank top that I wear almost every day. And uh, I got to meet him. He's just standing there in his getup. I mean, it's a really cool setup going to NASCAR, right?
0: I'll help you get him
2: on here if you want to interview him on here. That'd be cool, man. Hey, I, quickly. Okay, this is the last thing for
3: Marty. Marty, if you get your start just having your ears open in the garage and, and listening for the scuttlebutt and reporting on it, how'd you make all these guys your best friends if you're reporting on them?
0: Well, that was an interesting line to walk. And it was Mm -hmm. one that I always, you know, because that was actually one of the questions ESPN asked me when they hired me. Like, everybody says your name, that you know these guys really well, that you kind of know what's going on in the garage. Are you willing to report on them if there's a story that warrants a controversial, you know, reporting or whatnot? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Like, it's a, I mean, they all know. Like, don't. I, that some of those dudes like Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson. I mean, even in the, their absolute career heydays, were some of my dearest friends. And they, of yeah. course, they now that they're both retired, they still are. Yeah. But it's really incumbent upon you, like, don't be a dummy. Right. You know, I'm. Go, it's my job. I'm going to do it. And there's a great story. So Jimmy won the NASCAR championship in 2006. It was his first of seven NASCAR championships. All right. Well, after he won the championship, he was surfing on top of a golf cart like a dipshit. <laughs> fell and broke his wrist. Okay. Well, I find out that he fell and broke his wrist, and I—I I mean, I tell him, I call him, I give him the courtesy of, "Hey, I got to report this, bro. Do you? What's your comment? How 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 do you want me to? How do you want me to help you here with? Yeah. You know." The messaging, because I'm going to report that you broke your wrist. And he's like, dude, it's not a story. You better not. I'm like, I, I have to. So I'm on Sports Center live, and my phone is blowing up in my pocket. It's Johnson. <laughs> and he is furious at me. And it did, it did um, impact our friendship for a couple months. But I told him in the moment when he kind of confronted me on it, we were in Paris, France, long story. and i said look bro i understand you're pissed um one day i don't know whether it's going to be tomorrow or it's going to be two months from now or you're going to wake up and go he was right yeah Yeah. and ultimately our friendship grew even closer out of that
2: yeah because you 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 probably told him what you didn't want to hear, and then eventually you realize those are your friends. I uh, definitely told him. I and told you him. mentioned Europe. The last thing I want to ask you is you went to to Rome, I think, with Jim Harbaugh. Indeed, I did. How? What? Just go. <laughs> Tell me. About yeah, it was
0: quite an experience. There was a we did this paintball. So they did this team building paintball experience on the outskirts of Rome. <laughs> yeah, that's very you know very ancient Rome. Let's bust yeah. out some paintball. <laughs> yeah. You know, we'd like gone and visited the Coliseum or something, and it's like, all right, let's go shoot up some shit. <laughs> well, all right, I get – do you all remember Brandon Peters who played quarterback at Michigan and then transferred to Illinois? I'm looking him up. So, Brandon, in that era, it was Brandon and Wilton Spate and uh, John O'Corn and those guys were the quarterbacks at Michigan. Great kids, all of them. Well, Brandon and I are on the same pi- – I almost said pickleball. I play a lot of pickleball. We <laughs> were on the same paintball team. <laughs> All right, so Brandon and I are sitting there. He's kind of a quiet kid, and he looks at me. He's like, all right, do we have a strategy here? I'm like, yes, I have a very distinct strategy. He's like, well, all right, what is it? Like, should we huddle up? Like, what are we we doing here? I said, I am going to barge in the middle of that thing, and I'm going to try as hard as I can to shoot Coach Harbaugh right in the nuts. (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: as furiously as possible right in the khakis yeah because he had khakis right he was rocking those lulu khakis baby
2: they're comfortable
0: he is a he, like i love Harbaugh, man yeah he's i love all being bald. around him he you know he is he, he he's a quirky kind of different personality but when you're around him he's a guy that you gotta win like you yeah. can't he doesn't just give you his respect and trust yeah, yeah. And because we went to Rome and Paris with Michigan two straight years and really showed him that we were invested in his players and invested in their culture and all that, I mean,
3: I love the guy.
2: That's so cool, though. I just imagine it could be like a movie, Jim Harbaugh in Rome. Get that guy in the Coliseum. He just wants to run through some shit. Did you
3: get his nuts?
0: No, nah, man, I missed. I think I got a thigh. <laughs> I th- it's a story. Like It's just no different than,
2: than deer hunting for me. Yeah, you know, I ball miss a placement. Lot. I uh, love deer hunting. Yeah, well, right, we'll I, I, I'd i like we'll to get up in a stand time. soon. I, I've never actually been up in a stand because all the times all my teammates were like, I'm like, why are you so tired, Carson? Oh, it's because I was up at four in the morning, <laughs> you know, him and Fletcher Cox out in the stand. So eventually, I'm too busy chasing turkeys unsuccessfully. So if you get, get down our way, let me know and we'll get up.
0: Oh, by all means, I'd love to, man. And it, it's funny because I get Jimbo Fisher... I saw Jimbo this weekend, and we're chatting, and I was like, hey, man, what are the three most important things you need to do to beat Auburn? Like, whatever. And we talked about ball for three minutes and talked about big bucks on our land for 25.
2: He's (laughs) like, man.
0: He's like, and you know how he talks 2,000 miles an hour. I got eight or nine bucks. I mean, they have big old racks. You know know (laughs) That's
2: great, man. That's pretty good impressive That's a very good marty smith he's got the new book coming out sideline ceo uh it is gonna be awesome i can't wait to dig in leadership principles from championship coaches again it's available now so maybe you don't have to read one every 10 days like marty i don't know how the hell he's doing this stuff i mean the guy's got his you know he's busy uh but check this book out thank you marty for the time
0: you guys are wonderful. I appreciate the platform so much. I love y'all's spirit, and and I'm grateful to get to spend the time in fellowship with you, fellas.
2: Anytime, bro. Come see us. Thanks, Marty. I hate buying tickets. I've been playing my whole life, never had to worry about buying tickets. The ticket part is stressful. The game's stressful. The ticket part's really stressful. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. And with the Game Time app, it's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. If I'm trying to see the Monster Trucks for my kids or Willie Nelson for me and my kids. I can find it all in the Game Time app. Game is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has the deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account and use code greenlight for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code GREENLIGHT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Little Caesars is the mainstay on game day here at Greenlight. We order online one hour before NFL games during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame. So we're ready for some football and fun. It's a pizza pizza win. And you can win too, by choosing your favorite Little Caesars pizza or customizing your favorite Little Caesars toppings and then ordering and using Little Caesars convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So on game days, order from Little Caesars, meet up with your buddies, and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL Pizza Pizza.
1: So coming out of Marty, Chris, you want to talk directly to a fan base right now. And just to preface this, it's the New England Patriots fan base because they got on you a little bit on Twitter the other day for labeling Mac as a dirty football player. They don't want to believe it, even though this take kind of has some legs. In 2021, Mac Jones grabbed Brian Burns' legs. There's a video of it. In 2022, there was a slide against Jaquan Brisker. He slid, pointed his shoes up. There's video of that, too. In 2022, also towards the end of the season, he had that low cut block on Eli Apple video of that too. That's out there. And now we've got the nut tap against sauce. So Chris, you want to talk Patriots
2: fans? Uh, yesterday (laughs) I ended up mixing up with these guys again. I I don't know how we got here. Okay. Like I'm just going to be as candid as I can. I don't know how we got here to where y'all hate me. I seem to hate you. Like it was a great year. It was a lot of fun. I left. Sometimes I'm going to talk about you guys. Something. Sometimes you might not like what I have to say. But, read before I start the segment, for the Pats fans that might be listening for the first time, have I not gotten on my knees and blown them at various turns on this podcast? What was it, like six hours before that tweet? You said they're the best, best 0-2. 0-2 best 2 team. But, yeah. and they, who says I don't suck up to you guys? So, anyways, <laughs> all I'm saying is, I, I, if I've been an asshole to you in the past, and I'm not going to be able to litigate each situation because there's a lot of exchanges, then I apologize. But I will not apologize for the take I had yesterday, which is that Mac Jones is one of the dirtiest quarterbacks of all time. Which which is not, I mean, like it's not a it's kind of a low bar making that list because there's not a lot of dirty quarterbacks. I'm not saying he's the guy from Colorado State. I'm just saying the dude the dude does some dirt dog stuff out and there. And I, and I called him Conrad Throwbler, which <laughs> which most people probably went over your head, I bet. But not you, but maybe some of the fans that were upset because it is a funny image to think about Mac Jones and Conrad Dobler being in the same sentence. Conrad Dobler, not only the guy that gave me my flu shot in like 2000 and uh, I don't know, 15 in St. Louis, like in the twilight years of my, uh, I walk into the fucking side room, they're giving out flu shots there. I know I'm a sheep. Uh, And then in Conrad Dobler standing there and fucking scrubs, I'm like, is this the guy from from NFL films that in the sixties was the dirtiest player in the NFL when being dirty was the norm. Like Conrad Dobler was a handlebar mustache having dirt dog out there. I mean, he would, he would try to hurt you. So I'm not comparing him really. The joke is in the tweet. The joke being baked in is that being a dirty QB isn't scary at all. And nobody's really like outraged by the fact that he grabbed Sauce Gardner's dick. I don't even think he's outraged. I mean, he had to ice his balls, evidently, but I mean, making the list, not a high bar. I mean, so surprise, surprise, you guys don't see it. You know, you're looking at the video, you don't see it. You're like, if the glove don't fit, you must quit the whole thing. Um, or maybe you legitimately don't think he did it, which to me is in, is ignoring the context around the, the incident. So I get these things all the time with, with Pats fans. It's always, we gave you this, we gave you that. You hate the Pats. I have complimented you for four years. I mean, I was uh, Bill texted me after one of the pods where I complimented you guys, and yeah, you know, I'm I'm using the you guys thing because I know you like to be included in the in the conversation. You're on the team, okay? I talked to some of our teammates this week. I talked to Jules for an hour and a half. When we talk, we talk for two hours because I just love talking to Jules. I talked to Ninko the other night at three in the morning for like an hour, bro. Like. I fucking I don't know. Like again, I called you. I still talk to the nutritionist at the at the Patriots for Christ's sake. I I have Matthew Slater man. on my board. Yeah. Had, so please, I don't hate the Patriots. I just wanted to get that out there. And also, I just wanted to clear this up. If there's anything I don't like about the Patriots, it's some of you guys. I mean, I'm just being as honest as I can, dude. Like. I'm not saying every Pats fan I've met. In fact, every Pats fan that I've actually met in person has been really fucking cool. Usually, if one doesn't like me, I can kind of feel it from the other side of the room. They usually look like an undercover cop. (laughs) You know, they look like they're from, you know, they're like an extra in the town. They got a (laughs) tight-fitted baseball cap, and they're just looking at me like, uh. But, like, most Pats fans I meet are fucking cool. I know y'all don't like me, and I know I might have a dislikable personality. I think sometimes... It's hard to step outside yourself. If I didn't know me, uh, if I wasn't me, maybe I wouldn't like me. That's fine. My guess, you know, leaving the team on my own, you know, volition, going to the Eagles, being in the right place at the right time to beat you guys. I don't know if you think I'm lording that over you or something, or maybe it's the fact I like I associate with the Eagles more. I played there twice as long. You know, there's a lot of reasons that I associate with the Eagles a ton. You guys would both, both be getting the short end of the stick if st louis was still had the rams i'd be a st louis ram but it is what it is it has nothing to do with the pats so i hit your team like i hit every other team occasionally you're going to hear my name and i think it really bothers some of you that i'm opinionated um especially considering my role on the team but to be clear i didn't start a pats podcast i didn't center myself in the fucking pats you know universe um i'll go on tommy Curran's show but I don't like to to act like I'm Mister Pat's insider because I was there for a fucking year. I I think the same thing you think. It's like, what is this guy doing?
1: I think you. the the same the same guys that were in, were in your mentions, hollering about the Patriots and send the ring back are probably the same guys that were championing Bailey Zappi to replace Mac Jones. And you stuck up for Mac when Bailey played well. In- they probably
2: turned on Mac Jones last year, but th- this this is like I, I cover thirty two teams. Holy shit! The audacity of a guy to to cover his former team. And it's not even like when I send that Mac Jones tweet and I call him Conrad Throbler, I'm not even thinking about you guys. I'm just like, oh, here's the thing in the NFL. So number one, it's not about you. Number two, you don't know how aggregators work because every time I say something, it's not like I walked out in the middle street to hold a fucking press conference to talk about the Pats. It's just on my show and somebody from Pat's pulpit picks it up. You think I want you to be thinking about me? I don't at all. I don't think about you. Please don't think about me. You know, like I'm just doing my job. And this goes for anybody else listening that doesn't understand this part. And this is for all fans listening to the show because sometimes I think on a on a Sleepy Wednesday pod, I have to like break the fourth wall, third wall, fourth wall, fifth wall. Is it, I don't remember. Which wall is it? I'll break it. I break wanna talk. all the walls. I want to talk to you guys. We're doing a fucking, we're doing a full, we're doing a, a full demo in here, okay? Fourth wall, I'm trying to break the fourth wall and talk to you. This goes for anybody that 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 doesn't understand this part. I don't talk because I think I've done something special. And I don't talk because I think I'm better than you. I talk literally because I think I'm one of you. Like I've always been a sports fan. I've always had big opinions about sports. I used to go to Panthers games and paint my fucking face. I had a direct TV Sunday ticket package. And when the Panthers lost, I would feel like I was gonna cry. And I was in like high school, dude. Like it's too late to get you know, well up when Steve Smith drops the ball. Like, it's just fucking, I'm a big sports fan, always have been. High school, I was in the message boards at Virginia. I was, I was on the Virginia message boards. I was hanging over the, the, the front row at U-Haul, our old basketball stadium, telling Carlos Boozer he's ugly. So I've done things that you've done. Now, of course, that was a long time ago. I, th- I always pictured it as being middle school, but when I did the math, I think Carlos Boozer was like only a couple years older than me, and he scared the shit out of me, too. He glared at me, and then a couple years later, made fun of us when we were staying in Phoenix and whatever team he was on maybe the Bulls was in Phoenix we're on an elevator together and we're laughing and he gets off the elevator and Carlos Boozer says fuck are those guys laughing about don't they play for the Rams I'm like damn you are ugly though (laughs) I don't really think that ugly jump shot though here's the thing like I I am a sports fan like I, I think about things the way you guys do in a lot. And I'm still just like you. I'm a degenerate gambler. The only difference between me and you is that I I get to get paid to talk about the game. And yeah, I have more access and I have more experience, but I'm wrong sometimes. And I'm totally being, when when that's pointed out, I'm totally fine with that. Um, The catch-22 of being relatable enough to mix it up with you guys is, you end up in this situation where you're arguing with fucking trolls and you know I don't care I'll waste all day I'm just doing it because my brain's nonstop. but I can't do it I got to try not to do it more than anything though for y'all and I wanted to make this final point about Pats fans I was along for the ride absolutely uh that is so fucking fair you have no idea I have no qualms with that assessment okay but we kind of have a lot in common don't we because you guys have been along for the ride for 20 something years. All the reasons you don't like me, I could list them. I mean, like, you think I hit the genetic lottery? If you were born in Braintree, within 15 years of the turn of the century, you hit the fucking fan lottery, dude. You know, like, so I, I we have a lot in, in common. Um, We have a lot in common. We were both along for the ride. What a ride it was. I always admired the Pats. I want to say this to you guys, because I might never talk about you again. I wrote an article defending the Patriots post the flake gate, okay? I was in the league, I wrote an article because I was like, this shit's not right, Tom Brady's the GOAT, what the fuck are we doing? I rooted for the Pats, I look back, in four of six Super Bowls, okay? Predating my time there. I don't remember 86, and I don't know what the fuck I thought in 97, I was 12 years old, but the Panthers were my favorite team, had to root for the Panthers, and the Eagles, that was about Al Groh making us wear those ugly ass socks y'all make us wear. <laughs> or you know, that we had to wear the the three ring socks we are doing in college. So you know what the difference though is in being along for my ride and being along for your ride? I'm playing through broken bones. I'm waking up early, I'm staying late. I'm in fucking Foxborough in the summer living alone. I got a newborn baby at home and I'm up there all day studying film, working out, busting my ass, running hills with Moses, lifting way too much. You know, like I, I, I remember that year one of my good buddies died suddenly. Okay, I gotta go into Bill's office and ask him if I can go to my friend's funeral to bury my friend on a Friday. Like, that's the kind of job I'm at. You know, I'm worried I'm not gonna get the okay to go do that. You know, like displacing your family, moving your family, um, putting your ass on the line, playing left-handed, playing right right end, playing inside. You all thought I left because I didn't want to set the edge? I left because he wouldn't let me fucking set the edge. It was like, Chris, go be John Randall. Or even worse, Richard Seymour. I can't do it. So, like, I was willing to risk my professional reputation to do something that was out of of my comfort zone. And I did it to win a ring, to be along for the ride. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'd do it again a hundred times. And I love those guys. Uh, But the difference between your being along for the ride and my being along for the ride, here's the deal. If you want to come up to me and be, Hey, we just won a big one. We did it back in 16. Great, we, we can we all you want. But if you come up and insult me, that's just one of my biggest pet peeves. But I guess what I'm saying, I just, I hate, I hate being at odds with fans, especially with fans that, that, you know, cheered for me in some capacity when I played for their team, man. I, I got no beef with the Pats and most Pats fans I meet are awesome people, but I hate that part of the job. And rarely do I provoke you. Um, so we have a lot of a lot in common. I think we have opinions. We love football. Neither of us played big roles in the Super Bowl. We should we should get along, right? We both like the same players. We like the same teams. Let's just get along, okay? Like some of you guys, if you if you want to motherfuck me or be rude, I'm gonna be rude to you. But generally, I don't hate the Pats. I like a lot of the fans I've met, and you know, like I'll take this. I'll take a second. I'll apologize to the whole AFC East. Fuck it, we're up. The Bills, man, they're better than I thought they'd be. We're only a month in, but I was probably wrong about that this year. I thought they'd take a little step back. And the Dolphins, man. You know, like I don't know if I've ever formally done this. We're just apologizing to people. I'll go Oprah. The hardest thing about being painted on the other side of this Dolphins thing is that I like the team. And I have always liked Tua as a guy. And that predated me liking him as a quarterback. Uh I just felt like he seems like a great kid. And I know things were tough for him with B-Flow. And the worst take of my young career in this industry, and I've had some really good ones. I've also had a few that don't land, but this was bad. You know, like I go up to ESPN and I question the fit of Tyreek Hill in Miami. Now I wasn't the only one doing that, but I did it and I was too casual. I just was kind of like, yeah, it's not gonna work because two is not a deep ball thrower. We can argue about the nuances to his game and what his limitations are, but I underestimated him, and I underestimated Mike McDaniel. And I gotta tell you, as more time goes on, I sometimes assume you guys hear me gushing about your team, and I try to be as respectful as possible, but I don't think you hear me. So I just wanna say to you Dolphins fans, well, more so to Tua, I apologize because I underestimated you. I gotta say, watching this kid work, watching him enjoy his teammates, you know, watching them lift each other up, the, the quickness with which he distributes the football, the pinpoint accuracy in the middle of the field, he's fucking really good. And so it doesn't matter if we're you know, like some of the some of the semantics of is he top five, is he is he a hall of famer? Is he you know, because people get carried away. Let's just say he's really, really fucking good, and I'm enjoying watching him play. And I would hate if Atua ever heard what I had to say and thought, this guy hates me, because I don't. Mostly, I've been getting into it with your fans over the last calendar year. And you know, I'll, go, I'll go a step further. I talked about blocking that chick the other day. I shouldn't have blocked you. I just was in a mood where I was, I was in a good mood, and I just was like, you know, I don't need this shit right now. The ironic part is the reason I'm even mentioning this and, and unblocking this gal, I don't care if you've unfollowed me, I'm just going to unblock you. Is because she kept tweeting at me when she knew she was blocked. And that's what Dolphins fans are all about. They're relentless. They love their team. The only reason I found out about her tweet is because Dr. Fax had to relay it to me in the group text. She's just tweeting into a void. And you know what? Damn it, I respect that. So whether you'll have me back or not, I'm going to unblock you. Now you could tell me to fuck off, but this just feels good to do. So with having all that been said, a bunch of kumbaya shit on the back half here, I really do look back at that take as something I'm like, fuck, that wasn't a great take. Now, they could come back down to earth, but right now they're not. So let's just keep it to that, and I'd like to enjoy the Dolphins' success. You might not wanna allow me to do that, but I'm gonna do it, and I just feel better saying to you Dolphins fans, Uh, you know, like, let Tua know that we're sorry here at the Greenlight Pod for underestimating him. He's had a great fucking run over the last year and a quarter. Good for him. Good for the Dolphins.
1: We'll send you on your way with some good news. Final in Fenway, uh, Tampa Bay, nine, Red Sox, seven. Oh, yeah,
2: baby. Fuck yeah, stinky socks. Let's go. (laughs) You guys stink. You're going to fucking get swept by the Orioles. They're winning four for the Gipper. Raise, take care of business ones that